Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to our panelists and sponsors. Um, Canacare, Therapeutic Alternative, M3 Meds, Tully and Weiss Law Firm, Patient to Patient, 420 Online, Double Dragons, Cali Dreams Company, Lee Image Marketing, the law offices of Charnell James, Dale Schaefer, Attorney Russ Belleville, Sisters of the Valley, uh, Sister Kate, uh, Weed for Warriors. We have Sean here, uh, mayoral candidate Kevin Saunders, Richard Miller, and of course, Charnell James. Um, Thank you so much for the information. It's very important. So now to begin. Our very first question today, um, and we will start with Dale um, and then rotate back and forth between. Uh, the first question is, can the legislation legislature change or vote out um, AUMA? And while you're out of that, also explain the simple majority vote and what's the process. So if you could start with that, Dale. Well, I guess my this turned on. My, my knee jerk is to say uh, no, uh, but that is not an absolute. Um, I learned a long time ago that uh, things in politics and in the courtroom are never absolutes. The um, provisions for amendment allow for amendment uh, of section five and six by simple majority vote, the remainder by a supermajority, but it's gotta be within the intent and purpose of the initiative. So those things become important words when you look at how initiatives have been interpreted when they're being amended. So I guess that my knee jerk is to say that no, it's not gonna be uh, legislated out of existence, but that doesn't mean it can't be significantly modified over the next decade or so. And in fact, there is a provision under the tax part of this that sunsets the uh, two-thirds vote for some of the provisions of raising taxes that all they have to have is a simple majority after 10 years, but you've got to maintain the funding at that level. Uh, those are inside of this. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Kevin Saunders, do you have some more comment as far as your interpretation on how you feel whether or not this could be changed by the public? I do. Uh, first, I'd like to thank uh, Shelby and uh, Richard and yourself. Excuse me. Uh, I'd like to thank my friends on the panel, both yes and no. And I'd like to thank the people watching, listening, and the people who have come down here in attendance. There's no more important issue, in my opinion, that there's no more important proposition that's on the ballot than 64. We're at the crossroads of social justice, economics, politics. Some here in the audience and listening have been fighting for their whole life. Some are defendants, some are entrepreneurs, and some unfortunately, are, are still imprisoned. I think that there is so much <clears throat> potential for graft, so much potential for ego, factionalism, and a turf dynamic that I wouldn't be surprised if anyone at any time tries to change, amend, this proposition, MRSA, there's so much money and influence that's going on 
right behind me. And there's so much involvement now with the political parties that I would be very aware and concerned that this would be changed. We're in such a fractured environment right now, and I don't believe the polls are a 60-40. I believe that we're looking at about a 52-48 right now. This is not a done deal. So you're going to hear a lot of political talk. You're going to hear a lot of promises. And you've already seen how lawyers are peppered on both sides. And the lawyer, a skilled one, can make any argument. So you might be surprised today that I don't speak so much on the policy, but I speak more on the politics and the fracturing of our beloved community. And I'm asking everybody here to remain civil, but have a robust conversation, but understand that lives are at stake. There is no more important time to stop this giveaway to Big Pot. And I really look forward in the next two hours to going into more detail about the ramifications and the destruction of Prop 215 that will occur if this is passed. But I want to again say that let's maintain our civility and understand that this is going to be very passionate. But at the end of it, we're all friends. We're all a family. It's, it's dysfunctional as it may be, especially on Facebook. But we all want the same thing. My name is Kevin Saunders. It's not Kevin Sabbath. Thank you, Kevin. I'm not endorsed by the GOP. I'm not endorsed by the CHP. I fought my entire life standing up against the war on drugs apparatus. What you see here are three activists, Dave Hodges, Sean Kiernan, Kevin Saunders, and I'm channeling Letitia Pepper, Patrick Moore, Donna Lambert, Jeff Clark, the people who have spent a lifetime. Think about the people who are saying no taking nothing away from the people saying yes, but think of the team that is saying no. Think of the thousands of years of experience, not the million dollars that Sean Parker has put in to OMA. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Sister, uh, Sister Kate, what is your, do you have a stance on how you feel about whether or not with the passage of this uh, measure, whether or not it could be changed or beneficial for the, for the public? Yeah, I, I think, I hope it changes, because I don't know, and I, what I'd like to know is that the people on the no side are on the no side because they don't want rec, or are they on the no side because they don't like the way this bill is formed? Because I'm somebody who's been on the fence myself about this. This isn't, to me, a big pharma bill. This isn't plant freedom. This isn't getting us any closer to plant freedom. Would you folks raise your hand if you believe in rec, you just don't like this bill? Could we see a show of hands? You want rec. Okay, so, God, this is lovely. We're no longer fighting about whether we should have it or not. It's how we don't have it. So even the no people aren't really against cannabis. They're against the big boot of government. So in my opinion, what we're looking at, and the reason why I'm sitting at the pro table instead of the no table, because I could be easily sitting over there with those guys. But the reason why I'm sitting over here is because I look at it like the cannabis plant and its family have been slaves, humans like just like human slaves. They've been in shackles in the dark, 
cursed, starved, no nutrients, no respect. So I see Prop 64 as like the other slave-owning white guy who's enlightened, who says to this other white... Oh, sorry, I don't mean to be racist. I meant to do this without color. I was doing a slave analogy, trying to do it without color. But says to the other guy, look, you starve your slaves. You need to get them in lighter shackles. You need to get them in the sunshine. You need to get them some food and some nourishment. And so what, what I see is track and trace is new kinds of shackles. The way I see MRSA is a new kind of way of criminalizing and being mean to our plant and the plant people. But here's the point. The, even though it's not great, even though... The, so I do hope, in answer to your question, that MRSA changes a lot. I hope everything changes because a 45% tax at the end of the day isn't going to get rid of the black market. And it's not going to get rid of our corruption. So there's much wrong with this. But... There's enough right with it that I can justify it as a next step. And then we have to commit ourselves to 10 years of activism to make them do it right. And at the end of the day, that's where we sit. Thank you, Sister Kate. Uh, Sean? I'd like to hear your opinion on this now. Thank, yeah, thank you. you. The answer is uh, absolutely yes. Uh, they can change. I mean, it's really important people understand that a proposition in the state of California is superior to legislation passed by the Assembly, the Senate, and signed by Governor. So basically what you have with this is any rule they make, like when SB 420 plant counts were eliminated, ruled unconstitutional uh, in 2011, I believe it was. Letitia, I don't know if that's the right, she can give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, I don't know. But what happens is it violated Prop 215. So the court said, sorry, legislature, sorry, governor, you don't get to violate the rights that are in the Constitution for patients to use and grow cannabis. The problem with AUMA is it is a voter-passed initiative that gives the power to change the laws, not with the people, but back with the legislatures, the Senate, and the governor. And that is unacceptable to us veterans, because I can tell you one thing right now. You're asking us to trust the government with our health care. That's not going to happen. We know how bad that looks. Okay? So, I, you know, I, I appreciate what Sister said over there and the other people. I think we, what we have here is we all want legalized recreational. There's some of us who want better. And I think some of our brothers and sisters suffer the psychological term, the Stockholm Syndrome, which means they love their captors. Or they're thanking them for giving them a little bit and saying, thank you so much. No way. This is about freedom. This is about our freedom. And we're not going to let these wonderful people back here in the state capitol violate that. So no on 64, because regardless of what it says today, we're giving the power back to these people. And they care about one thing only, money. And my patients and my veterans, they don't have that money. And my patients and my veterans are going to be criminalized. And they talk about criminalized. They talk about saving criminalized. Look at every state in the union, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. Black and Latino arrests for teens are up while white teens are plummeting. In decriminalized New York City, yeah, in, 90, in New York City, 90, where they decriminalized it, white people don't get arrested anymore. 90% of all marijuana arrests were black people in the first part of 2016. We have a policing issue. That needs to be addressed. And don't hold out promise. I love when white, middle-class, and upper-class people come in and saying they're here to save the poor and minority communities that they've been ignoring for years. This ain't about And You want to say the NAACP is in, uh, for this? I know the NAACP. I know Alice Huffman. 
She's a wonderful lady. But you're sorely, sorely misinformed if you think the NAACP supports this because it's a fight because of the drug issue and marijuana in the inner city. They're for this because they're part of the DNC, and there's been promises that have been made in this building by Jerry Brown to all the self-special interests to give them a little piece of the pie at our expense. Thank you, Sean. We appreciate that. Uh, Russ? How would you? I'll let you read it now. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, thanks to Shelby and Bud Tracker for bringing me out here. Nice to be here. Nice to see you all here. First time in Sacramento. And uh, this is also kind of a weird debate for me because usually I'm having to debate Kevin Sabet and a bunch of cops, not people that also smoke weed. So this is interesting. But uh, I want to stick to some facts here just so we have that on the table. I hear a lot of opinions, but I want to stick to some facts. Question had to do with can the Prop 64 be changed? after it is passed. It does have some amendment sections. There is uh, the section 10 that says a majority vote can amend sections five and six. Section five is the regulations having to do with medical marijuana recommendations, records confidentiality, fees, child custody rights, and federal rescheduling. So not possession limits, not cultivation limits, not all the other stuff, just those few things could be modified by majority vote. Section 6 is the regulation and safety for commercial marijuana, so it has to do with licensing and fees and, and, and application process. That could be modified by a majority. But these modifications by majority must comport with the Section 3 intent and purposes. And in these Section 3 intent and purposes, paragraph K says to strengthen the state's existing medical marijuana system. So it would be hard to make a change that would make that weaker. Also, having to do with amendments, uh, the majority uh, vote only applies to that section of five and six. It does not apply to the rights in the Compassionate Use Act. And there are nine different uh, clauses within Prop 64 that protect the Compassionate Use Act. The, uh, the uh, purpose and intents, uh, section 3L says uh, adults will have the right to possess, purchase, and grow non-medical marijuana. So they couldn't pass something that takes away your grow, possession, or purchase rights. Section 3M says uh, reasonably regulate cultivation of non-medical and only to ban outdoor, and no city or county may completely prohibit that within a private residence. So right now, under medical cannabis laws, there are localities in this state that are banning all grows, indoor or outdoor. Prop 64 passes, you get the guarantee of at least a six-plant garden minimum. Now, a couple of other quick statistics from the places that have already passed legalization. Because I live in Oregon. I've worked a lot in Washington. I visit Colorado and Alaska as well. The uh, panelist, you mentioned something about the racial disparity in arrests. The racial disparity went up, but the arrests went down. This is a trick of statistics where throw, someone throws a, st uh, per a percentage at you to scare you without paying attention to what the actual numbers are. These aren't the actuals, but let me just give you an example. If you had 10,000 marijuana arrests and 5,000 of them were black, that's a 50% arrest rate. If you legalize and those arrests drop to 1,000, but there's 600 black arrests, the rate went up to 60%, but the total number of black people being arrested dropped by 4,400. So yes, legalization isn't perfect once it passes. There's still things that have to be addressed. But it's far better than treating everybody who's got weed on them like a criminal. And finally, the costs. I don't know what you're paying in your local dispensaries here before tax. How much an ounce? 300? 250? 200? Zero? Because you grow for yourself. That's very nice. And Prop, and Prop 64 allow you to grow for yourself. In the state of Oregon and Washington. Excuse me, sir. 
Excuse me, sir, I have a microphone, and you don't have a microphone, so I'm much louder than you, and I can continue to talk, and no one will be able to hear you. I will continue to talk, and you can just listen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. In Washington and Oregon, the price of an ounce of marijuana, even with 37% tax in Washington and 25% tax in Oregon, is $150 an ounce. Less than $9 a gram with tax. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. We appreciate that. Thank you. Dave, and again, if we could ask you to please, if, if any questions that you have, please write them down so we can have them discussed. But this just interferes with our debate. Um, Dave, can you, do you have an opinion on how you'd like to address it? Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I just want to get back to the original question. Um, can it be changed? And the answer is yes. Uh, the problem is the things that are most important to change are not changeable. Uh, the possession limits and a lot of the other things like the, the fact that we're going to have a divided state and local regulatory system, which is the biggest problem we have in medical cannabis today, where the state regulates different than the city, and we have this mess from city to city. So that can't be changed um, without going back to the voters. And many of the, the worst parts of it can only be changed if it actually fails. And it, there's some language in there. Unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to prepare to quote the actual language. But basically, it's got to fail. More people have to go to jail. The business has to not work so well. And then they have an opportunity to make some of the most needed changes. But what, what you're looking at with uh, Prop 64 is really an easier way to put people in jail. What, what's going to happen is anybody that has beyond the possession limits um, is facing jail time. Uh, and, and it's a three strikes sort of system. So the first time, it might be a little slap on the wrist, but you know if you're somebody who uh, works in the underground market or even works um, in this gray area medical that we've been existing, you're, you're going to jail. And there, there's nothing that we can do about that until enough people end up going to jail that we're able to say, look, uh, this isn't working. You guys have to change it. So, yes, it can be changed, but the things that are most important to change in it can't be, at least not until it completely falls apart. So what we've got is a real mess on our hands. If this thing passes, we're going to set back the California industry over 20 years. It's going to be something that nobody recognizes. We, we have had since 97 uh, freedom in, in what many people see it, being able to hang out and have big events. Uh, but th these things are going to be completely different um, with Prop 64. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. We appreciate it. And uh, just so everyone knows, if, if we can keep the speaker, if the speakers stay below three minutes, then I'll allow a one-minute rebuttal on some questions. Um, but we do need to move on to the next question. So I'll pass it over to my co-moderator. Thank you. Uh, once again, I'd like to ask everybody to be respectful and understand everybody's valued and their opinions, but we must get through this and we'll have plenty of time for dialogue at the end. Thank you. What does Alma say about possession, transporting, purchasing, or giving away any medical marijuana? Can you go ahead and answer that, Kevin, please? Uh, a little earlier, 
You heard Russ Belleville say he wanted to hear some facts, not some opinion. Well, let me give you some facts about OMA. A six plant limit. When CCHI started this conversation back with Jack Herrera, we were looking at 99, no plant limit at all, but the powers that be wanted to sell this. They wanted to sell it to soccer moms. Well, I got news for you. The soccer moms are all baked. The soccer moms want more than six plants. Let me give you another fact. One ounce. One ounce. I want you to think about that just for a second, what that means that you're allowed to have. And Sean eloquently said earlier, talked about freedom. What kind of freedom is that? This bill was written in a cubicle in Sacramento by a group of two to three people. The person's name that wrote it was named Gail Kaufman. Take a guess where Gail Kaufman gets her funding. This is, not a gra this is not a grassroots initiative. This is AstroTurf. Grassroots is CCHI. Grassroots is Patrick Moore. Grassroots is Lynette Davies, Marsha Blount. Unfortunately, Grassroots is also some of the people like Lanny Swerdlow and Chris Conrad, friends of mine both, who have come out for OMA. And not once have you ever heard me say, even in my most manic times on Facebook, have you ever heard me say anything negative about Russ Belleville, Belleville, Chris Conrad? Because at the end of the day on November 9th, I want to be able to smoke a joint with Russ Belleville and Chris Conrad, talk to them, learn from them, advocate with them, but not like this. Jail time for juveniles, that's another fact. Kids are under 21, they're impressionable, you have this opportunity, they're like young flowers. You can educate them, you can talk to them about the dangers of alcohol and Oxycontin, and what are you gonna do? You're gonna have that precious moment, you're gonna waste it by giving them a fine, an infraction, or like they say, oh, it's only six months in jail. Think about that, only six months in jail. Well, I spent 39 days in the Monterey County Jail, and I'm not the same person anymore. My finances are destroyed kicked out of law school, embarrassed, shunned. Thank you, Kevin. You can't drive a passenger in your car with medicine. It's nothing about asset forfeiture. This is California. Imagine, just imagine if we push back on this and we win. Imagine what people will say. In 2016, the activists did it. They did it against Sean Parker, who invented Facebook, and they, we did it on Facebook. We pushed back, and what power that will give to the other states who in Ohio and Oregon and Washington, medical is being crushed. Thank you, Kevin. The, the, the grassroots did it. Police didn't do it. Law enforcement didn't do it. Republican Party didn't do it. Grassroots did it. Thank you, Kevin. I'd like to go over to Dale now. What does Alma say about possession, transporting, purchasing, or giving away non-medical marijuana? Okay. Um, first, let me just uh, make this very clear. 
I'm a year out from five-year federal prison sentence. So I understand only too well what it's like to not spend a couple of days in lockup, but to spend years, years in federal prison for marijuana. Okay, so I've been there, done that. I'm also an attorney. I'm in year 30 of practicing law. So a lot of the rhetoric being thrown around here, if you walk into a courtroom and you say it to a judge, if he doesn't throw a gavel at you, he puts you in lockup. So there are some realities about the law that I don't like, and I know people up here don't like. But when you walk into a courtroom and you've been accused of a cannabis crime, and you try to say, well, Sean Parker wrote this, and it's not fair. And like I did, I tried to bring LV into my trial. I tried to bring up that the federal government gives her marijuana. You know what? Didn't even get to come in the courtroom, okay? Those are the problems that we're trying to address. And as I read 64 when I came out of prison and it got out there where we consume it, I was looking at this from the perspective of somebody who went to prison for cannabis activism. My wife had cancer. Okay, I didn't jump in this because I like smoking pot. She was dying from cancer. Okay, so I had to go out and find it and grow it. The cops showed up. We had to deal with them. I used to represent police officers. I'd work for firms that represent their unions and that were outside counsel for them when they beat the crap out of somebody. We had to go and try to defend them. Okay, I know that side of this. I also know what it's like to eat bologna and sleep on a damn yoga mat for five years. Okay, I promised the guys when I left I was going to address reform of the criminal justice system. I was going to push back on the war on drugs and this capitalistic treatment system. I was going to do everything I could. So as I read through 64, those things popped out at me. I don't like everything I read. I don't. But back to your question. Possession right now. Underannounced, Schwarzenegger did this in, in the um, sunshine of Prop 19 to get people not to vote for it. Underannounced is $100 fine. Okay? Underannounced under 64, if you're over 20, 21 or over, is nothing, it's not a crime. Under that, if you're between 18 and 21, it's a $100 fine. If you're below that, you don't get fined. You don't go to juvenile custody because kids all go to counseling and treatment and community service for every, every cannabis crime they're accused of. Now, that's the facts. Cultivation, right now, cultivating one plant is a felony. That's the de jure part of it. The de facto is there aren't enough cops out there to police all this. So people are being allowed to grow all kinds of marijuana. But when you get drug into court and say, well, everybody else is doing it, that's like what you get to say to the highway patrol officer when you're doing 80 and he stops you on the freeway. Well, the guys are going past me. Well, yeah, you're still doing 80. You broke the law. Okay? That's the reality. And that's what this is trying to back away from. Now, sharing right now, if you share, okay, and, and you can call it whatever you want, furnishing to people. These are crimes. These are felonies, okay? Now, if you have an ounce or less, or if you grow at your property and keep all you've got, you have all your buddies over, you can share what you want. It's not a crime. Thank you, You Dale. can take an ounce with you. Thank you, you Dale. You can share. It's not a crime. Sean. Yeah, hey, this is what? important. What's important to talk about is the... <laughs> This is like predicting the stock market or where the housing market's gonna go. There's a lot of interworking parts. We don't know a lot, to be very honest with you. That was the most honest thing a DPA lawyer who's involved in processing this thing said. We don't know, because it doesn't say. It's gonna be interpreted. Two issues with this I wanna touch upon. One, the real issue here is you're gonna have, it is gonna create a legal market. And that legal market is gonna be for people who have money or access to funds, who wanna sell it, grow it, or package it and test it. 
and that's great. I'm a big fan of that. Raise taxes. I think it's important. But like my veterans who, who, who are not going to be going in and being able to afford an eight uh, that in San Diego right now, some of the strains they use are $70, $65, and that's before 30% or 35 or 40% taxes are going to be paying. So whatever it ends up being paying, they're now going to be forced to make a decision. I cannot afford this legal market. So the decision I have to make is I go back on pharma or I work in the black market. So if I work in the black market, that's where all these police officers are going to focus. So what we don't, you know, uh, Newsom said in his Modesto B, we have the good actors who are going to come on board and work, and those guys over there are bad actors. That, let me tell you, the police are coming for you if you're in the black market, and the people in the black market are going to be the diverters, the people shipping out of state, so it's delusional to think the black market's going away, regardless. Okay, it's a full of shit to try to say, oh, it's going to help the environment. Bullshit. Okay, let's get real here. And what's going to happen is we're moving the war on uh, marijuana prohibition to where we run every war in this country, a war on the poor, a war on the needy. Those are the people who are going to get thrown in jail now, and they don't have the bail money. My veterans are going to get stopped. You talk about limitations. Eight, uh, what was it, eight uh, grams concentrate? My brother Mark over there, four grams? I got veterans who go through that in days. They have to carry that much in terms of strange, morning, afternoon, or night. You are going to be jailing people who fought for this country, and that is disgusting. I cannot accept that. The other thing I want to talk about, the other, Russ, I, I want to welcome you from Oregon, okay? I appreciate it. Well, you got to let talk. you got to let me talk, ma'am. I appreciate it. So what I'm talking to you today is it's not even what it says, it, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say a lot, and the reality is we live, these people who are for AUMA, they're living in fantasy land at Disneyland, how this thing is going to be implemented. These vets out here can tell you when big government runs something, look at the VA. Hey, hey, who here loves the VA? Raise your hand if you're a veteran. See, they don't want it, okay? So the reality is I don't want the state of California telling me what I can and can't do to medicate to my, but we have 22 deaths a day by suicide. We have an epidemic over, opiate overdose rate. Cannabis is showing that it's decline. It is the only thing out there now that's combating suicides and overdoses. And we're going to restrict cannabis through regulation and cost? That is disgusting. We have to say no. This bill, if passed, will kill veterans. Thank you, Sean. Sister Kate. You. What does Alma say about possession, transporting, purchasing? I don't know. I want to rebut him. I think he just put a bunch of crap out there that doesn't mean anything. Let me tell you, that is not. First of all, you're not the only ones with vets. You're please not, hold your comments, sir. Let please hold your comments. You're not the only one with vets. Vets can have medical usage more. This law, you're making it sound like Alma is saying a vet can only have four grams. Those limits in here were about no one with a medical card, anybody on the street. Our vets have the right to get more and through their medical system can get more. So we are not, this is not going after vets. And, and the other characterization that, that, yes, I agree with you guys, our government's history is not great. Every institution is corrupt, and we've opened it now up for five more corrupt institutions to pick our pockets. I get that. But the question is, are more? Are we disempowering the cops through Prop 64? And yes, we are. We are disempowering the ripping of plants. We are disempowering counties from saying that I can't have six plants growing in my house. It is 
a step towards empowerment. And you guys, shame on you for making the unknown a boogeyman. Empowerment for rich white people. No, that's baloney. That's baloney. The large licenses won't even happen for five years. There are all kinds of protections in here for micro businesses and for the small growers. So to pretend that this bill is for the big guys, that's crazy. Thank you, Kate. Can we please hold our comments? You are a corporation. You pay nothing. The Vatican is a corporation, Mr. Clay. We're not Catholic. Sir, please hold your comments or you will be removed. I've asked three times now. Thank you. Dave, I'd like to get your opinion on what does Alma say about possession, transporting, purchasing, or giving away non-medical marijuana. Well, I, I think... Yes, it should be. Uh, yes. Hello? You want mine, Dave? Do I have a mic yet? Hello? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, personal possession, transporting limits, uh, these are really big to me because personally, I smoke two ounces of weed a day. If I didn't have concentrates, um, I would have to literally carry a backpack around of weed just to get anywhere, right? So... You know, when you're looking at, well, an ounce is a lot of marijuana to some people. To other people, an ounce isn't even half their one-day supply, right? So really, these, these arbitrary limits that we've set as far as possession um, are, are crazy. And then when they factor into transportation, you have the real problem. Because now if you grew your own in your own backyard and you were lucky enough to be in one of the counties that allows you to grow outside and doesn't require you to have a a special permit to grow on your own property, which is another part of this. Um, well, your one outdoor plant could yield anywhere from one to 10 pounds. So if you then take, you know, maybe a half pound or so, you wanna go share it with your buddies and you hop in your car, uh, you are now in risk of breaking the law, even though, you know, it's your weed, you grew it your own house, you're not gonna sell it to anybody, you're gonna share it with your friends, but guess what, you have more than an ounce on you or you have more than eight grams of uh, concentrate. And it's actually a little, there, there's a weird thing in there where they screwed up. I mean, it just shows how poorly this thing was written. Uh, one part of it says four grams, the other part says uh, seven grams, and they're saying less than eight grams. Th this was rushed and done by people who didn't really understand what they were doing. And to people who do understand what they're doing, it is clearly the wrong direction. Uh, it, the only way you can be transporting your marijuana now is if you have a permit. So anybody driving around pounds, which, uh, yeah, that is the black market, but I know plenty of people who do that, um, they're going to jail. Any, uh, anyone who carries around more than seven grams of concentrate on them, they're going to jail. You, know, you, you have the system where, you know, we're, we're talking about disempowering the police, but what we've actually done, or what this would actually do was completely empower the police. There is no gray area now. If you have more than an ounce, or you have more than eight grams, you are breaking the law, period, right? And, and the, the only way we can change those parts is going back to the voters. So really, we're, we're in a, a really bad situation when you look at some of the fine details, and those fine details include how you're gonna transport your weed, if you have to pay to grow in your own house, because yeah, you can't, ban indoor growing, but there's nothing that says you couldn't create a $1,000 permit for it. 
And then when you talk about you know the, the corporate overlords, with the section in here that says you have to have local and state permits, you have to have a special permit devised by your county, by your city and or county, the only people that are going to be able to do that are people with really deep pockets. I, and I Thank you, Dave. It, it, we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Thank you. Russ, what does Alma say about possession, transporting, purchasing, or giving away non-medical? All right. So the basics are that adults 21 and over will be able to possess an ounce of cannabis flowers in public, eight grams of concentrate in public. At home, they'll be able to cultivate six plants indoors that no locality can ban and be able to possess the entire amount of their harvest, no matter how much that is. This is similar to the law in Colorado, where people can possess an ounce in public. They can grow three mature, three immature plants at home, but can have a total of 12 plants, which would work out to six mature plants. So it's not too different than what we've already got in Colorado or Oregon, for that matter. Now, a lot of people, I think, make some mistakes in, some errors in interpretation here. First of all, let's remember that uh, marijuana is prohibited now. Right now, it's a crime. Cops can go after you now. Most of these things, in fact, almost all of them I've heard today where people are saying, oh, if, you, if you're traveling with more than an ounce on you and the cops get you, they can bust you. Right, like now, like they can now. If, you're, if you have too much on you, they'll, they'll, they'll arrest you. Yeah, like, like now. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that Prop 215 exists and will continue to exist and has robust protections and even some improvements that are built into Prop 64. So if you do need to smoke two ounces a day and you've got your card, nothing changes for you. You're still going to be doing exactly what you've been doing. In some cases, Prop 64 even makes these things better. Currently, trying to transport any amount of marijuana is a $100 misdemeanor. After Prop 64, it is legal. Currently, right now, the sharing of marijuana. If you are over the age of 21, uh, the law is Section 11360B that says every person who gives away less than an ounce is guilty of a misdemeanor punished by a fine of $100. After Prop 64, Section 11362.1, Paragraph A, it shall be lawful for people 21 and over to give to people 21 and over less than an ounce. If you're between 18 and 20 years old, Currently passing a joint is one of those $100 no-arrest misdemeanors. After Prop 64, if you're 18 to 20 years old, it is reduced to a $100 infraction. So things are getting better. And it's just, it's ludicrous to think that by reducing penalties and making things legal, there could actually be more arrests. And there's two reasons, three reasons for this. Number one, we have the evidence. In Colorado, the number of marijuana charges for all crimes dropped 80% after legalization. And that's not just the less than an ounce that they weren't busted and the less than six plants that weren't busting. That's all marijuana crimes. 20 pounds in the trunk, uh, 80 plants in the, in the garden, all crimes. Four out of five people who used to get busted aren't getting busted anymore. In Washington state, the rate decline is 63%. Almost two out of three people who used to get busted aren't getting busted. Now, the reasons for this, number one, Cops no longer have that special little key that unlocks your Fifth Amendment rights, the lie that, I smell pot. They can just say, I smell pot, and boom, that triggers all sorts of search, seizure, or all sorts of problems. 
after marijuana is legalized, even a gram, they don't have that excuse anymore. And finally, the number one thing, again, the number one thing that helps to protect people when even a gram is legalized, much less an ounce, drug dogs are retired. Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and Alaska have had to retire all their pot-sniffing dogs because a dog can't smell the difference between a legal ounce and an illegal pound. Furthermore, when those dogs are trained for other drugs, they still have to be retired. So if you've got a dog that sniffs pot, coke, meth, and heroin, once pot's legalized, they have to take them out of duty for all the rest of those drugs because all a drug dealer would have to do is stick a bud in his stash of cocaine and then his defense attorney gets the charges thrown out because the evidence is rejected because you can't prove that dog sniffed the coke versus sniffing the weed. Thank you, Russ. We appreciate that. There's There's a lot of components to this that's... There's a lot of issues to be talked about on this, but I think what I want to do is is kind of move this debate forward. And we've been talking about possess- about consumption, and I think that that's an important thing. So I'd like the panel now to turn their focus to whether or not there will be any limits on recreational consumption. And I'm going to go ahead and start with Sister Kate. Uh, we'll go ahead and let you start today. I would say that if you want to reach the limits of consumption, you ask the teenage boys. Because <laughs> from my experience... They can smoke their body wheat and wait and weed wheat. Um, I I didn't see anything in Prop 64. Um, I've heard a lot of scary things from the no people that they're regulating THC. I agree there are things in here that they leave to be open, but I think one of the more experts should answer that because I didn't see anything about limits on potency of THC in anything I read in Prop 64. Th- thank you, Sister Kate. Um, uh, Dave, why don't you go ahead and address this as a as a cannabis business owner? Well. You know, there, there are limits on um, things like edibles, on how strong they can be, and a few other things in there like that, But uh, which, which really is pretty arbitrary and kind of ridiculous. But uh, the, the concern a lot of people have is the driving under the influence language in there. Um, and that's a, a really, really tricky subject, uh, especially when you look at medical patients. So, you know, you have a, a medical patient... Uh, something like MS or even PTSD, some of those people really need to smoke weed before they drive. Uh, Other people, if they did the same dosage that those people did, would be unsafe behind a car. So you have a really, really tough subject to deal with. Um, And AUMA doesn't do the worst job of handling it. They set it up to be done by a study, but we we really have no uh, guarantee on how that study is going to come out. And really, you've got another situation where people who don't necessarily understand what they're doing uh, are, are going to make the rules for us. So it's yet to be seen. Again, I'm going to ask for comments to be limited in the audience. I understand this is a very, very passionate thing, and we will give you your opportunity to ask questions. Thank you. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. All right, thank you. Uh, Russ, can you answer that question? Are there, will there be limits in consumption products under the, the AUMA? Yeah. Already mentioned, uh, as already mentioned, the uh, limits on the uh, amount of milligrams of THC per servings in edibles. Uh, this arose from the initial uh, uh, action that happened in Colorado and Washington, where uh, the edibles became more popular than people thought they would be. A lot of people didn't know what the hell they were doing, took too much, got too high, went to the emergency room. There was a lot of freak out about it. So the, the later states, uh, California being one of them, and, and the other four that are voting on legalization, have addressed this by setting a, a minimum serving size amount. 
I don't particularly like that. I, I I'm, a, I'm a regular can. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, medical consumer, but I have been consuming since 1990 and quite a lot. A 10 milligram chocolate bar is not going to do anything to me. 100 milligrams is not going to do anything to me. I need two, three hundred. But uh, that's the breaks, and uh, that's the way the edibles are going to be regulated at this point. It's important to note that right now, I can't have any edibles because right now they're illegal. So it would be a whole lot better for me in that case. As, as, far, as far as anything else, as far as consumption limits go, uh, I would point out that uh, there's a limit on being able to consume publicly. Like, I can't go to a, uh, a festival, like a beer brew festival. I can't go to a lounge like I would go to a, a bar. Under Prop 64, there's the ability to create public social use licensing so that you can have a pot lounge. You can have a special, you know, outside-in-the-park kind of uh, uh, cannabis-related thing. So uh, that, to me, is removing some of the limitations that exist on, on consumption. Thank you, Russ. Um, Kevin, can I get your input on this now? Speaking of limits, <clears throat> no vaping in public. You're unable to drive for numerous reasons and you're a passenger in a car. Want to hear about limit? How about not able to medicate in your own car? There's a limit for you. Ask yourself why it was one ounce. Who benefits from one ounce? So you have to go to a dispensary that's either a monopoly or an oligopoly you're forced to spend, like Sean said, up to $70 for an eighth. So they don't want you growing more than your six plants. And they want you to grow it indoors. And think about what that's going to do to the power grid. 1% of the United States' energy, 1% of the entire United States' energy is consumed by indoor marijuana growing. And if it's forced to go indoors, because we can't do it out, because it has to be attached to a structure and there's all these limitations and you can only do six. What is that going to do to our power grid? What's that going to do to our economy when things shut down and we have blowouts? Think about that. Six plan what if you live in an apartment? What if you're homeless? What if you live in your car like I've had to live in my car before? What if you go into a divorce or you have CPS in your life? Where are you going to grow it? You don't want that burden. There's nothing in this bill that's either a real negative or a real positive for CPS. Why not? Think about the amount of payoffs that were given it and lobby group, tip of the hat, all those things that, that go down in the building behind me. This is a giveaway to Big Pot. This is an offense to Dennis Perone. This is an offense to Steve Cubby. This is an offense to Ed Rosenthal. This would be an offense to Jack Herrera. Think about it. Sean Parker, the same person who invented Napster and took away people's intellectual property for their musician, their workmanship. Think what he did at Big Sur when he trashed my hometown of Monterey County and was fined by $2 million by the California Coastal Commission because he didn't clean up his trash. Are those the values? And where is Sean Parker today? Where has Sean Parker been any other time? I see people on the right waving their signs, their AstroTurf signs. You go to any event at OMA, it's like an infomercial. They shut down dissent. 
I get banned from the Sheridan. Letitia gets arrested. We're called stoners against legalization. I take offense to that. I paid my dues. I've seen people suffer. I started with ACT UP in San Francisco. Thank you, Kevin. No, hold on a second. Let me get one more. Give me 30 seconds. Okay. I just want you to think about who is against this and who is for this. I know we're all tired. I understand the, the yes aside. Every single time you hear somebody say about, well, it's not a perfect bill. Well, let's make it a perfect bill. This is California. We started this. Let's make it a perfect bill. We had a perfect bill with CCHI. We had even, in my opinion, a better bill with MCLR. You know who wrote MCLR? That guy right there. Don't listen to me. Listen to Dave Hodges. Listen to Dennis Perone. I can't say that name loud enough. Dennis Perone is against 64. Ed Rosenthal, against 64. Thank, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. Uh, Dale, you want to weigh on on what your opinion is as far as to the limits of consuming specific products under this bill? Okay, let me just make a clear statement that no one today has a right to grow, to consume, to share, to give away, to drive around with marijuana. And I'm not saying I like it, but the Supreme Court of California has made it abundantly clear. And any city and county can absolutely, totally ban anybody's right to grow, to be a cooperative, to be a dispensary, okay? So let me just make sure that's clear. You have no rights other than to defend yourself after you've been arrested. Now, I used to work in an emergency room, and I've been there when people rolled in after consuming heroin, and it was a big deal, okay? When someone rolled in after eating too many pot brownies, we walked out of the room and laughed. Okay, you're not going to die. But this bill is not necessarily written for those of us who have been inside the movement. It's, it's written for soccer moms. And I'm telling you, I disagree that they're all stoners. Okay, the average soccer mom, and I'm telling you, I've been out there talking to Republicans, Democrats, other groups, and they're not all red-eyed stoners. And they're the ones that are the majority of the voters in the state. So there had to be some compromises made. One of them was these concerns coming out that people are eating a thousand milligram cookie and sleeping for three days and they go to poison control and all that stuff. So okay, there's a limit of 10 milligrams per serving. You can have multiple servings in a candy bar, whatever like that, but the individual serving's 10 milligrams. Now, Russ, if you need a thousand milligrams, you gotta eat 10 little pieces of chocolate. It may get your butt a little fatter, but you'll get, your, you'll get to your dose. I don't particularly like that you can't vape in public. That was one of the things about this that bothered me. The science for vaping is very good. And I think you should be able to do that out there in public. But the people that are the average voters don't want this out in the public, okay? And I don't like that, but they're the ones that are going to vote this up or vote this down. So they don't want this out in public. There are ways to be able to go into a private place and consume. But out in public, they don't want that. If you're out smoking in a place where you're not supposed to smoke tobacco, the fine actually goes up. It's one of the only instances there where the fine goes up to 250 bucks from 100 now, there are limits of one ounce that you can drive around with. So if you go to a, a dispensary and they're foolish enough to sell you a pound, how do you get it home without violating the law? So there's going to probably be limits of that. Eight grams of concentrates. But eight grams of concentrate is 8,000 milligrams of THC. 
okay? So if you, if you take a cookie with 100 milligrams, start doing the math. You could have a lot of cookies, okay, or candy bars, whatever. It isn't like this is just nobody gets to do this. And another thing that, that keeps getting thrown in here is apples and oranges. Prop 215 is protected. It doesn't give you a lot of rights, but it's protected. SB 420 is going away. Okay, and you think the cops aren't salivating to get after you for having a collective co-op? I'm telling you, the end of 2018, you don't have any defenses. They're going to start arresting you because they're pissed off they can't get a conviction right now. Okay, that's going to happen. That's not about 64. Okay, that's about what's coming from McCursa. Okay. Thank, thank you, Dale. I appreciate that. Um, Sean, we'll get your last word on this on this yeah, issue. Basically, a couple comments. Uh, the, the really issue that the only really issue we have with the consumption side, well, we have a couple issues, but the big one, I don't even care about edible limits. That, that's fine. Um, the smoking outdoors and, and the vaping. We, uh, our, our brother Louis, you there? Uh, our Stockton chapter uh, head, he, he goes out and uh, we did, gave joints and vape pens to the homeless. Okay, and these are homeless veterans. And who have nothing, and we go out and do it. It's in stock, and the police are looking at me. It's all legal. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the last thing we need to do is just give another reason to somebody to harass the, the homeless or the homeless vets. And, and so, you know, that seems a little ridiculous to me, but at the end of the day, that, that this is the least of our issues. I think it's important to touch on two things. First of all, I love when Russ talks. It's like a pharmaceutical commercial. You know, a, a disclosure 15. Well, if you have less than an ounce this, if you have more than two cookies this, and that's, that's part of the problem. I mean, the fantasy land these guys are living in, MRSA and AUMA, over 200 pages of laws and regulations, and rules and regulations. Does common sense tell you that you give the government 200 pages of laws and regulations and less people get in trouble? No. People with money will not get in trouble. People without money will get in trouble. That is the America way. That is what we're about. And this is going to accelerate the war on the poor. Let me tell you one last thing on the donation side someone brought up. There's straight out regulations and laws, and then there's a law of unintended consequences. And we, we haven't talked about that. But listen, a personal example for us is we get donations from our growers, our, our farmers, our extract artists, free of charge. They give us a percentage. They'll give us 10%, you know, somebody like Lumpa Farms. 200 pounds, they throw 10 pounds just to give away to veterans. They have the lowest marginal cost for that opportunity cost for that donation. It doesn't cost them anything. It costs them what they would have sold it for, 14, 1500 bucks. Now they can no longer do this under this bill. They have to sell to the middleman, have to pay the taxes. The middleman has to wrap it in child-proof safety, has to test it, has to give it to the dispensary. Now we can go to the dispensary and ask them to give us the donations. The stopgap measure that the Weep Warriors has been working under, which is giving hundreds of thousands of dollars of medicine each month to veterans throughout this state who can't afford it, is now gone. Not because it says the Weep Warriors can't get donations, it's because they, through their regulations, they snuff it out through just laws of economics. People, we can do better. He says in 2018, SB 420 is going away. Great, 2018, let's pass CCHI. Let's pass the Weed for Warriors bill. Let's pass something in 2018 that's a better bill than this. Thank you. Not yet, I'm sorry. We're going to lead into this next question. We're going to start off with Russ. Um, Will someone with prior convictions, and we're talking about felonies, be able to get a license to grow or participate in Alma? Please cite in Alma how this will change. 
I believe in the uh, Prop 64 there are some restrictions on licensing for some people that have been convicted of violent felonies or sexual felonies, but uh, from what I understand, it will still allow the licensing of, of some people that have previously been involved in the uh, unregulated marijuana market, so that's, uh, that's my knowledge on that. So I did want to rebut a couple of things if I've got a tiny bit of time here. Um, on the, somebody had mentioned the, the DUI provisions. You know, Washington State is just north of me in Oregon, and they came up with the most idiotic DUID provision of a five nanogram per se DUID. If you got five nanograms of active THC in your blood, you're automatically guilty whether you're driving fine or not. Fortunately, every other state that's tried to legalize or has legalized since then, the five that are voting now, including California, and the two that passed in uh, 2014, Oregon and Alaska, didn't include that DUID provision. Now, there's some fear-mongering going here because Prop 64 says, oh, the California Highway Patrol is going to get this money to study it, study impairment, study how we can figure this out, study what a scientific standard would be. And that doesn't frighten me at all because when they do the real science on this, they'll find out there is no magic number. Marijuana is not alcohol. The body processes it completely different. So if, if they have to spend money to find out that they can't come up with a breathalyzer, I'm all for that because we get that definitive answer from the state of California. That's going to affect all the other states moving forward to try to legalize. Thank you, Russ. I'd like to lead into Dave to the same question. Will someone with a prior conviction, we're talking about felonies, be able to get a license to grow or participate in the almond marijuana industry? and please cite where this is in Alma. Well, unfortunately, I don't have the language in front of me, so I can't pull up the exact citation for you. But um, it, it's, like Russ said, it really depends. Uh, it depends on what, if, the, if it was a violent felony or not. Um, if it was just a marijuana conviction, I think they're fine. But, um, you know, the, the biggest problem is who's actually going to be able to uh, be in this industry because of, how many available jobs there will be. Um, there's not going to be a lot. We're, we're looking at something that uh, is going to reduce what we currently have in California in the range of 95%. So we're going to drop down to 5% of the dispensaries we currently have. Um, and, and those are the only ones currently in California that have licenses because, believe it or not, 95% of the California market currently is unregulated. So. What will felons be able to participate? I, I think it's who will actually be able to participate, and it's a much smaller group than people think. Um, and any reason to cut somebody out like they have a prior felony, that would still be left up to the person doing the hiring. So there, there's a, it, it, that's a very difficult question to give a clear answer to. But I, I think the answer is maybe. Thank you, Dave. I'd like to move over to Dale now. Um, the same question. Was some with a prior conviction, we're talking felonies, be able to get in, in license to grow or participate in Alma in the medical, or I'm sorry, in the marijuana industry? Please cite Alma if you can. Business and Professions Code section 26057 and 26059 cover this subject. Under MCURSA, which is what they refer to for their requirements for fingerprinting and a background check, if you have a felony and it involves a substance felony, you can be denied a license. 26059 says that that cannot be 
the only reason to deny a, a license if it is a marijuana felony, okay? So there is some room for people who have been prosecuted in the past in the war on marijuana to be able to go in and substantiate that, hey, this was what happened, uh, I was targeted, whatever, I served my time, I'm out of this, it was a marijuana felony, and as long as there's no public safety issues, and this is another thing, well, no matter what happens, lawyers are going to make a lot of money off of this because you're going to be in arguing in front of the judge, was it public safety or not? But if it doesn't involve public safety, you should be able to go through. Now, I sat through some meetings here that are going forward right now under Consumer Affairs um, where they're setting up regulations right now. Governor Brown told the licensing people, we do not want people, and especially people of color, to be excluded because they have a marijuana felony in their background. But that's not what McCursa says. In 64, it specifically says that's not a reason to deny all by itself. Does that mean they won't? No. I'm up slinging in these counties and cities around here, and when you talk to these local policymakers, they're making it very difficult. Calaveras County has asked, their sheriff is weeding people out after they took $3.5 million from people for application fees and asking questions like, have you ever used a controlled substance? Have you ever been arrested at all? You're growing for somebody who's not going to get a license, things like that. So if you don't get under McCursa your local permit, you can't even apply for a state license. Under 64, you can get a state license without getting your permit, but you've got to comply with all the local permit regulations before you can actively begin to get into the industry under 64. So even if 64 says you can or cannot, when you get up to these local jurisdictions, it's a, ho it's a horse of a different color. And that's where the politics of this is really going to get important, whether this passes or not. We have to be at local jurisdictions where we're arguing with policymakers, hey, don't make this so difficult for the little guy that they can't get permitted to go on to get a license. Thank you, Dale. Kevin, I'm going to ask you the same question. Would someone with a prior conviction to felonies be able to get a license to grow or participate in the Alma marijuana industry? I don't know if they will be or not. But I'll tell you, they certainly should be. This is our best and our brightest. These people with convictions dating back to the 1960s are the people that pioneered CBD research, growing, sustainable growing techniques, watershed improvement. We have now fourth, fifth generation growers, like a friend of mine, Hezekiah Allen, who had the courage, and I'll say it again, the courage to have his seminal group, California Growers Association, remain neutral. Hear what I said. And he, had the, he had the courage to remain neutral. It's not his job. It's not the CGA's job to be partisan. They're the California Growers Association, but you can read between the lines, and you can tell by his body language, and I think Hezekiah even came out and said he's pretty much opposed to it. Someone mentioned on the other side that this is going to protect small farmers. Then why did the Small Farmers Association come out against Prop 64? Why has every group from CCHI to Coasterdam to the majority of the thinking people in our movement feel that this is not the time? We're in no rush. And where I break from some of the people on my own dais is I actually supported MRSA. 
That's right. Pro-MRSA, anti-OMA. And if you listen to Jamie Kerr, Planning Commissioner, Shasta County, owner of the 530 Collective, listen to her. Again, don't listen to me. Listen to her. Tell her how confusing. Listen to her words, how confusing it's going to be if they layer OMA on top of MRSA. We had collaboration from the highest to the lowest parts. We had input from stakeholders. And we crafted a bill to keep it medical. And that's what I never understood, is all the anti-OMA people who are anti-MRSA. Think about it. Think about it. MRSA strengthened medical. It allowed people to tear up, like Kitty and I have done in Monterey County. We just applied for a mutual benefit license. That's happening because of MRSA. And the values that come with the Coaster Dam and the values that come with one of those tiered licenses are going to mean jobs for people in Monterey County. Free medicine. No charge of vets. AIDS are 4.0. If you got AIDS, it's free. You served our country like Sean, free. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. You get OMA, it is going to kill medical. And they can't tax REC. I mean, they can't tax medical. They want to tax REC. That's why they're killing medical. Thank Think you, about Kevin. It. Thank you, Kevin. Sister Kate, will someone with prior convictions, such as felonies, be able to get a license to grow and participate under all my marijuana industry? Yes. Yes, I believe they will, but they can't have violent crimes or other stuff polluting their marijuana. It's just this, specifically they're trying to get people, they're, they're giving the courts authorization in here to go back and look at these cases where growers got jacked up by the law, and if they're still jacked up, they're giving the courts authorization to go, okay, we can drop all this. If it's not illegal tomorrow and you were, you're still fighting something from two years ago, we, the courts have the authority in this proposition to just make that drop in compliance with what's going on now after this becomes law. So they're making an attempt. I think it's very difficult, it's very weak, because most people who got jacked up by the law for growing ended up being jacked up over other things, because that's what our cops do. They'll just go in and find something, anything, make up stuff, plant coke, crap on the sofa. We've all seen it, we all know what happens. So I don't think it's very much, and I don't think it's gonna go very far. I just wanna say, though, in rebuttal to the other table, I too think CCLR was better. I, too, think MCLR are better. I gave all my money to those. I supported those. They lost. So the question now is, how many, for the next four years, I think the no people are okay that for the next four years, we continue to put our young people in jail for having a joint, because that's what's going to happen. Maybe it'll be two years, but it might be four years. We're not okay with that. Any steps in Prop 64 that disempower the police, we have to take those steps. And then I will be fighting right next to you guys to reform AMA and MMRSA. Thank you, Sister Kate. Now on to Sean. Yeah, in the instance of time, I mean, they've said enough. Uh, I, you know, there, there's, I hope so. I'm a felon. Uh, in 2015, I got arrested for marijuana possession and giving it away. So... Uh, I, I would hope so, but the reality is it's going to be who you are. We know how this works in the political system. Who are you connected to? Um, it, you know, I can tell you, Alice Huffman, this is one of the things NAACP demanded from Jerry Brown, to, to, to not hold fe uh, felonies against 
the inner city kids. So it basically, we've been arresting black kids, you know, forever and, and at a high rate of marijuana convictions, and now rich white people are going to get, uh, you know, rich off dealing. And that was, you know, what she said, and it's been said by a couple people. And so this Jerry Brown threw in there that, that we're not, it can't be held against them solely. You know, and his sister said, if you have violent convictions or something, that's different. Thank you. I appreciate that, Sean. I appreciate everybody's comments. This is, this is one of those topics that's really critical in this discussion. Um, I'm going to change the focus of the, of the debate now and talk about how it affects employees and employees in the workforce. Um, what I'd like to do, and actually I'm going to start with you, Sean, today. Um, how will employees be protected or not protected under 64, and how is the employer drug screening system affected or not affected? Well, a couple things. Uh, I'm not going to discuss that. I'm going to let him, our gentleman to my right, discuss that probably a hell of a lot better than I will because uh, it's such a technical question. But remember, it's federally illegal. Something that's interesting and in being with the government that we see all the time with these vets is, remember, all these federal employees are still going to be P-test, have UAs. It's not going to affect them. Companies are going to be able to not have you smoke marijuana. But what's great is the free market is kind of changing this in general. Go to Silicon Valley and ask Google and, and ask these, uh, uh, you know, companies, do you P-test? They're like, hell no, we wouldn't have any computer engineers. <laughs> um, and, and, in fact, you know, what we saw with the DOD and NSA, they're having a problem recruiting people uh, because no one can pass a marijuana piss test, and the, they're not going to hire you at the NSA. So, so I think the free market's kind of addressing this. I mean, but at the end of the day, my understanding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't really, you know, yeah, it doesn't give us any protections. It allows companies to decide themselves uh, whether or not they want to P-test and hold that against you. And actually, what's, the problem with that is it hurts the lower class the most because that's where they're P-testing. They're P-testing the warehouse jobs. They're P-testing in jobs that are minimum wage jobs in Walmart and places like that. And those people tend to be the ones who are self-medicating and, and everything. So, again, lacks protection, but that's all I really have to say on it. Okay. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Dale, would you like to weigh in on that matter? Hello. Um, since California decided in Ross versus in Waging Waters, are Waging Wires that uh, there's no protection under 215 or 420 for people who use cannabis and go to work, um, that state of the law hasn't changed. And 64 doesn't really make any advances in that legally. That was one of the things about this that I was concerned about. But from a practical sense, from what we call the de facto sense of this, as Sean brought up, what you find is that employers are having to make adjustments to their role because when you get applicants and all 100 of them test positive for THC and you need to hire somebody, now you've got a problem. And what has happened since 215 got passed, 420 got passed, and now we're hoping what happens when 64 gets passed is there's a tidal wave across the country that, you know what? If I work for you and I empty your trash and mop your floor, who gives a rat's ass if I smoke a joint before? Okay, who really cares? All right? If you're flying my airplane, yeah, I got a problem with that. Okay, if you're driving a train into a station and crash it and you're stoned, there's going to be a problem with that. But for the average Joe, consuming cannabis and then a day or so later going to work should not affect your ability to be an employee. And this will create some momentum to ring some bells with employees. Now, the federal government is still going to put the hammer down. They do not want people to be able to consume and be on the job. Transportation department, things like that. The federal contract's not going to allow this. But 
we see more and more people, and I was an employer, okay, and I was in a marijuana business, so guess what? I didn't care. As long as you weren't smoking in the front room and getting me in trouble, okay, I didn't care, because as long as you can do your job, I don't care what you do the night before. And that is a predominant theme that's rolling across the electorate right now. We have a lot of soccer moms who don't understand this. But given time, if this is allowed to go forward and we more normalize cannabis use in our society, employers will have no choice but to make hiring decisions that allow people who use marijuana or cannabis, we're going to call it, to be able to be hired. And they're not going to hold them to be bad employees just because they use Thank you. I appreciate that, Dale. Um, Kevin, let's, let's get your input on this issue. Think about <clears throat> the money that was available and the language that they could have put in. They could have talked about CPS protections, employment protections, lifting the one ounce six plant, not having jail time for juveniles, possessing flour. How about something for asset forfeiture? Nope. Again, this is to protect monopoly and oligopolies of dispensaries, chain stores. Not about patience. We can come back in 2018 as the national conversation progresses. And in my opinion, once we get, this may come, we may not like this, but I think as we get a woman president who balances the feminine, nobody that can tell me that Hillary Clinton's going to be worse than Donald Trump or anything that she could do be worse than this OMA. We're going to have a woman president, a Democratic president. We may even have America's first black president doing something on his way out. We have Bernie Sanders in the Senate. There's a lot of hope. We're living through a zeitgeist, a renaissance, as we speak. And the, again, the power that will be shown, the muscle that will be flexed by our activist community, by Letitia Pepper and Patrick Moore, Real One, Milan Amore, Check them out on Facebook. The who's who. The creme de la creme of the activist community is against this for a reason. People drove here from Riverside, down from Humboldt, for a reason. This is a grassroots. We stopped this. They're going to wonder how we stopped it. How the thousands of hours bested millions of dollars. Think about it. And we can explain it. We can go on the road and explain it. And then we can come and ask for CPS protections the next time. We can Thank even you, strengthen Kevin. CCHI. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Russ. Um, with respect to the employment thing, uh, no, the, uh, Prop 64 re maintains the employer's uh, current status. They can p-test you. They can fire you. They can discriminate against you. It's obviously something we're going to have to work on. Because there's going to be a lot of things we're going to have to work out. Uh, legalization's a process. It's not a magic bullet that happens all at once. Just like prohibition didn't happen all at once. It takes some time. So that's one of the things we'll have to fix. But I can't let stand uncorrected some of the uh, assertions that are contrary to reality. Uh, first of all, 
An assertion that there'll be jail for juveniles passing a joint? No. Under the current law, offenses by minors up to age 18 can be infractions, misdemeanors, wobblers, or felonies. After Prop 64 passes, all those offenses by anyone under age 18 gets counseling, community service, and drug education. So we're helping the kids. Uh, as far as the um, medical marijuana thing, going to destroy medical marijuana. Once again, we have nine different protections within Prop 64. We have a section here that says localities can't ban your six grow, indoor grow. We have one that says that the recreational limits don't, aren't affected, uh, don't affect medical marijuana. That's another thing. Uh, the rec limits don't apply to medical patients. The uh, MRSA uh, medical recommendations uh, don't affect, aren't, aren't affected. Commercial licensing and tracking, seed to sale, all that kind of stuff doesn't affect medical. And you get a new right. Patients' parental rights are protecting you. Child custody, all those kind of actions by CPS cannot be solely based on your use of legal marijuana. The current medical marijuana dispensaries get the first shot at the licenses for the next four years, up until 2020. The 15% excise tax doesn't apply to the medical purchases. The flower tax does not apply to the home grows. And finally, the other thing, uh, I started... Uh, my uh, career on this uh, reporting on various legalization issues back in uh, 2010 with Prop 19. And back then with Prop 19, I had a whole bunch of people tell me it wasn't good enough. It only legalized an ounce. The home grow wasn't big enough. It's a monopoly. It's a giveaway to the corporations. We should wait until next time, and then we'll pass CCHI. That next time was 2012, and it wasn't on the ballot. And in 2014, it wasn't on the ballot. And so now, in 2016, we have something on the ballot that's better than Prop 19, but it's still not quite good enough, and they're telling me, wait, just wait, we'll pass something better the next time. Well, folks, but there's 8,800 felony arrests every year in this state. Those people can't wait for the next time. They need change to happen. And this idea that activist-led, grassroots, all-volunteer, unfunded initiatives that try every two years to make the ballot never gain half the signatures they need and have no funding to advertise or promote the campaign are somehow, I'm sorry, are somehow going to not be able to make it in a 2016 election year when everyone's really excited about it and we get more liberal turnout. But in 2018, when it's a more conservative turnout, less people are paying attention, we'll magically be able to raise all the money and signatures to get on the ballot. Folks, hopes and dreams aren't going to keep people out of prison Passing laws will. Keep Thank in mind you, Russ. it's illegal now. It's illegal Thank you. now. Thank you, Russ. I appreciate that. Dave, uh, can we get your weigh-in on how you feel that the AUMA will affect uh, employment situations? Uh, well, I'll do that, and then there's some rebuttal to Russ, too. But, um, it, you know, they, it, it won't help employer employees at all. It just makes it very clear that um, employers can discriminate for any reason, and this just adds to their reasons to discriminate. Um, you know, as far as some of the other things said by mainly Russ, uh, you know, there's there's some facts that he isn't quite saying. You know, there's a lot of felony arrests in California, but there's not a lot of felony arrests for weed. And a lot of that has to do with, <laughs> a lot of that has to do with uh, the medical marijuana laws, otherwise there would be a lot more. And even those who do get arrested for weed, if they have good attorneys and they have set up a collective, which will no longer exist in 2018, but as of right now, today, exists, 
These people have been getting slap on the wrist. They haven't been getting felonies. The, the felonies will come once there is a clear law that says, oh, oh, oh hold on, you guys can't do that anymore. Uh, you can't just run around with all the weed you want and say it's my own personal use or it's for my collective. But a, a really set, fixed limit saying if you can't explain this and you don't have a transporter's permit, you are breaking the law. There's another thing uh, about the youth, and really 18 to 21 is um, something that they haven't mentioned over there, mainly because it, it does end up with a felony. So somebody, an 18-year-old who's carrying around too much pot on him, or really any pot, could run into other problems with the law. So we're creating more and more problems. But overall, what we have is a bill that was not written correctly, and even the other side, the people voting for it, they say it's not correct. They say, oh, we wish we could do this, we wish we could do that, because there's a lot of things that aren't right with it. In fact, the one universal thing I can say from every supporter I've talked to, including their team, there's something wrong with it. They all say that. So why are we putting forward a voter law, something that can only be changed completely by the voters if we know there are ma major problems with it. We, the, the political rationale for a lot of these things is bullshit. There is no reason we had to say that we have different regulations for cities and the state. In fact, I had politicians tell me, please, you're working on initiatives. Please, make sure you fix this one problem. We don't really care about most of the other stuff, but this whole dynamic between the state city and state having different regulations, this fucks us all up. Uh, we're, we're trapped. Uh, we have to deal with the cities. The cities have to come up with the regulations. We can't just say, hey, let's all follow the same rule. And that is locked in through voter law. So, you, you know, you've got a lot of situations like that where this bill adds up to be really a death nail. So we have MRSA that's going to take away uh, the collective right and the thing that's been protecting people for the past, uh, well, since 97. Uh, and that's going away. Uh, well, part of it's going away. And what we're going to replace it with is something that guarantees that these people go to jail. So there's no, you know, I, loopholes are, are an issue too, but there's a lot of ways this could be written differently, not to impact people the way it's going to do. Uh, but that wasn't the concern when they wrote this. We can do this Thank in you. 2018. There will be the support, especially as people see how MRSA gets implemented and as they start losing the freedom that they currently have. So this, this thought that we, if we don't do it now in 2016, we can't get it done in 2018, that is bullshit. Initiatives thank get passed in off election years. Th thank you, Dave. Uh, fi finally, Sister Kate, with your final weigh-in on this issue. Oh, no, I, I think um, you said it best over here. No, the fact is... Uh, MCLR didn't get its signatures. The Bill of Better Bills didn't get their signatures. And they haven't gotten them for over a decade. We have to make concessions to the soccer moms. And our priority, we get it. I don't like the DUI stuff. I think we could go a lot further in disempowering the police, and we're going to have to. We're going to sign up for spending our life on activism against everything that's wrong with this bill. But in the meantime, 8,800 people a year are not risk 
are at risk of getting felonies that won't get them over the next two years. And at the same time, we're taking big steps to disempower the police. So that's, at the end of the day, are less young people going to go to jail? Yes, under Prop 26. Are less growers going to go to jail? Yes, under Prop Is it a perfect bill? No. Look at prohibition or any changes. It's a, it's a progress. You have to take it step by step or we wouldn't get support. The reason this bill has 60% support from the public Six plant ridiculous limits, don't like them either. The big money you get for more arrests of DUIs, really don't like that. That's completely against science. But this is what we got, and we have a choice now for Prop 64 to stop putting people in jail in every day. We have a chance, starting November 19th, to disempower our police in a big, big way. We have to take the step, and then we all need to work together to fight hard, because I really honor you guys. What you are is hardcore activists holding out for the right bill. And what I'm saying is we're putting people in jail every day while you guys are waiting for the right bill. I love you. I want to work with you. I want to reform this. But in the meantime, we got to set, we got to take what we can do today. Thank you, Sister Kate. We're going to switch gears here, and we're going to go towards more children. And we're going to lead our question with uh, Dave this time. Will recreational users be, or I'm sorry, wrong one. <laughs> How will children be protected from accidental consumption under Alma? Oh, um, you know, there's uh, a, a very good section in there um, as far as child, uh, child protective packaging. Uh, I think that's also one of the rationales for keeping the limits low. Um, but, you know, it, it's... Uh, overall, we're still going to have the same problem. I mean, kids are getting into prescription pills all the time. It's not, there, there's nothing you can really do to stop that other than educate uh, the parents and the children of, hey, you got to keep this stuff away, locked, and safe. And there's no bill that's going to be able to do that. Um, you know, my, my biggest concern is really around this, this gap, and I, I don't want to call them children, but the 18 to 21s who are really going to be most affected by this. Um, in, in San Jose, where I started the, the first cannabis club about seven years ago, we went through a lot of turmoil. Uh, we, we've got um, a huge industry that developed, and when the city finally passed the regulations, they passed it with a 21-year age limit on medical. And what that did was reduce the dispensaries by about a third of their volume. So a third of the people coming into medical cannabis dispensaries today are in that 18 to 21 range. So they smoke pot. And what we're going to say is, hey, well, now, hey, uh, if you don't go get this magic piece of paper, um, you've got some stuff you got to deal with. And the, the third time is a potential felony. So, you know, it, it's really, I would say it does virtually nothing to actually protect kids and, in fact, puts a lot more in danger of interacting with the law that don't need to. Thank you, Dave. I'm going to move over to Russ now. It's like debating Donald Trump sometimes. There's facts and there's history, but they just don't matter. All right, let's get to uh, some of these yeah. things. What was the question again? The question is, how will children be uh, protected children, from accidents? Right. So uh, Prop 64 uh, contains within it the uh, packaging requirements that have been uh, adopted by most of the legal states at this point. You know, child-proof packaging, opaque, advertising doesn't appeal to minors, that kind of stuff. So that's there. 
The uh, edibles have been limited to the 10 milligrams per t uh, THC per serving. The idea of that is if a kid does get into accidentally, then uh, he can, you know, it's not going to be as bad. This does, of course, come down to education, and this is something they found out in Colorado as well. They had to do a public education campaign, uh, start low, go slow, to kind of teach people that edibles work different than smoking. Uh, as far as uh, this idea that more kids are going to be in danger, again, right now, under the law, marijuana is illegal for anyone under the age of 18 or over the age of 18. Under the age of 18, the crimes involved can be infractions, misdemeanors, wobblers, or felonies. A wobbler means it can be either or, misdemeanor or felony. All those crimes by people under the age of 18, the penalty changes to counseling, community service, and drug education. For the college age people, age 18 to 20, that we're worried about. There's this uh, talking about how there's going to be new crimes, there's going to be a crime, we're going to get jail for people who are 18 to 20. Currently, the law right now Section 11.357, paragraph C, every person who possesses more than an ounce of marijuana shall be punished in jail for six months, $100, $500 fine, under Prop 64. Anyone over the age of 18 to 20 who possesses over an ounce, six months, $500 fine, is exactly the same. It's a crime now, and it doesn't change for the 18 to 20s. There's no way more of them could get busted. And it actually reduces the penalty for concentrate. People 18 to 20 that have any amount of concentrate are subject to a possible one-year $500 fine. Prop 64, up to four grams, they get six months $500 fine. So it reduces the penalties. This crazy idea that you reduce penalties, take away probable cause, and retire drug dogs, and then somehow more people get busted? It just blows my mind. I, I can't believe this. And it, it, I might be able to believe it if nobody had ever legalized before and we were just projecting or guessing. Before states have already done this in a manner very similar to what California is proposing. And again, 80% reduction in charges in Colorado, 63% reduction in charges in Washington. I just don't see where this fear is coming from. 215 will continue to exist. It's not for the patients. It's for me. It's for me, the recreational consumer, who currently can be searched, harassed, ticketed, arrested, and imprisoned for possession and cultivation of cannabis. Why do you all want me to keep remaining a criminal? Why do you want to help the cops? I hear people on this other side using the same arguments Kevin Sabet uses against me. Oh, not that many people go to jail for weed. We're not really busting people. They got busted for other things. Well, if it's no big deal, why pass any legalization? Why pass anything if it's no big deal now? Thank you, Russ. You ready, Sean? I think so. How will children be protected yeah, under yeah, ALMA yeah, for accidental sense. consumption? You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in projection, you know, being around vets with psychological issues. And I, I think when people lash out, it's projecting their own issues. So uh, thank you, Mr. Trump over there. Um, and let me tell you what our friend over there, Russ Bellevue, is doing. He knows he's losing this debate, so he's getting cute. Okay, let's get real here. He's a carpetbagger from Oregon, and he's down here, and he grew up in Idaho, and he's being paid by people like MPP to go around the country and on his radio show, and that's to just regurgitate the same propaganda points, the same political talking points, and he's been doing it. And by the way, I, do, I, I watched your Twitter feed, and uh, I think you had one like per Twitter, so I say hi to your mom. She seems to like you. Um, uh, you know, and, and this is really important. He's confusing the facts. He's No. He's He's, he's confusing the facts here. Let me talk. Please, let me audience. He's confusing the facts. He said, well, it's not illegal. It's illegal. 
he's confusing recreational with medical here because it's not illegal if you have medical in many cases. And let me just say in reality for all those people who want a legal recreational industry, we hear a lot that the medical program here is a joke, that anyone can get a rec. Yes, they can. Go on the damn computer and for 20 bucks, you can have legalized marijuana and you can smoke it with the affirmative sense of 215. We don't need to ask the government for that fucking privilege. Okay, we're, okay, so then, now what we want to tell you, is this is the, the thing. Well, I'm not following because no one else follows it, so I'm just going back to the thing. Juvenile arrest, he's talking about juvenile arrest, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct in this. He's talking about minority arrest and all the rest. Yes, white kids' arrests are down. Black and Latino kids are up percentage-wise and notionally, meaning up absolutely. Okay, so... The reality is he's confusing you and trying to confuse the facts, but that's what he does. Okay, now with regards to kids, it doesn't do anything. The reality is kids are going to get access to cannabis regardless. That's the whole joke of this thing if you want the honest truth. You can't control this. I have four children. They can go within a block of any block they have in their city, and they can buy cannabis, and that will continue afterwards. It's called parenting, people. Be a parent. And the great thing about cannabis, let me tell you the great thing about cannabis. It has its own self-control. You do not die when you take it. It's a learning mechanism. So I'm much more concerned about the Xanax. I'm much more concerned about the Oxycontin. I'm much more concerned about the antidepressants. Don't let them treat our medicine like they're crap, because that's what they want to do. Thank you, Sean. Over to Sister Kate. Well, I don't think I think you guys need to stop this stuff of this political and name calling and all of that. It's really uncalled for. We're all fighting for plant freedom. We're all really on the same side fighting for plant freedom. And you guys have to stop that, the name calling and the insults. It's not necessary here. We're having a very good debate. I think we can say we all don't want cannabis part of the DUI thing. We all find pharmaceuticals far scarier and more dangerous to our children. We all want plant freedom. We got people on this side that think this bill is not good enough and we should hold out and those 8,800 arrests a year are okay for two more years when it magically gets fixed. And then we got the people on the yes side who are saying, come on, we gotta take whatever step for plant freedom we can take and then continue to activate. I do believe we're all gonna be working together at the end of the day and I just hope everybody will be civil. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Kate. Back to the question, Kevin, on children and accidental consumption. Will Alma protect them? I'd like to ask Russ Bellevue why he thinks that hyper-regulation is a better model than decriminalization. All I've been hearing from Russ, who I actually like, I'm from Oregon, so I'm not going to be up here bashing Russ. Russ is a good guy, Kev, actually. Kevin, if we could keep things directed, we're not going to cross-debate, so if we could just focus on the issue, that would be But I great. think Russ has been attacked unfairly, quite frankly, and I, I actually think he's a good, good decent guy, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to be able to uh, defend him from this side. The attack was made that we're making attacks. I don't think so. All I've been up here to try to do is to get people to realize, you don't have to listen to me. I'll say it again. Listen to Dennis Perone. Think of what Jack Herrera would have thought. Ed Rosenthal. 
And quite frankly, there's one person sitting right in front of me right now that, in my opinion, is the smartest, most relevant, and the person that should be listened to in this entire debate. The person's name is Lynette Davies. So you cannot listen to me, Sean, a veteran, very eloquent veteran, Dave Hodges, probably the most respected person, in my opinion, in the industry. Or you can listen to Lynette. Go to Lynette. Ask her. She's not going to lie to you. She's not being paid by normal, like Russ is. Ask Lynette. She'll tell you the truth. Thank you, Kevin. Dale, can you address the question that was asked regarding consumption in children? I, I will try. And their protections. Okay, I'm a dad, and I got more grandkids than I can basically keep track of, and one in the oven right now, okay? And as I was raising my kids, they grew up around marijuana, okay? So it was up to a parent to have discussions with them about what this was. I grew up in a family that sold alcohol in a retail level. I was told, listen, boy, alcohol is for selling, not for drinking. We had discussions about this, okay? That's where the responsibility lies, is to the person watching that child. Educate them, keep them away from something that may hurt them. Now, I'm aware of the LD50 for cannabis, and it's impossible to reach that, so you're not going to die. But the soccer moms are concerned about kids getting a hold of this. Oh, they're going to call poison control and get an ambulance. Well, shit. We used to walk out of the room and go, you know what? O'Shaughnessy used to give kids with seizures 150 years ago a ton of marijuana tincture. Didn't bother them a bit. They go right back and suckle and we're just fine. So that's not a concern for those of us in the industry. But what I think people are not grasping is that for 30 plus years, people in this industry have been trying on their own to get an initiative passed to get something through this building up here that's helpful for medical marijuana patients or for marijuana users in general and they've fallen flat on their face unless someone walks in with seven figures to write checks to go gather signatures and when George Soros did this in 96 he was everybody's hero now he's everybody's goat okay Richard Lee did this with prop 19 now you know he's out there twisting in the wind I was present when one of the members of our panel was at a conference where George Zimmer said, I'm back in 64 and not MCLR, and there was an obvious letdown. Well, we're not going to get the money. We need to go get this funding. Whether we like it or not, the people inside this movement haven't been able to get enough political power to blow their nose in 30 years, okay? So to say that we're just gonna move forward and do all this stuff, I hear that, but what's the evidence that you've actually been able to do it? Now, people are writing checks, and I tell you, I don't trust the people with all this money, honestly. I'm meeting with these policymakers, and they're out there saying all this stuff can make it very difficult without corporate money to come in and do this. I get it. There's protections for small people for a while. But when this is all said and done, these people on the other side over here, I hope to sit down I can't smoke because I'm on court supervision, but I'll have a drink with them. I'm a vet. I was a corpsman. I've been diagnosed with PTSD. I get it, okay? We're going to have to work together because no matter what happens in this election, whether 64 passes or not, 
There are slippery slopes waiting for all of us to try to protect the people in this crowd who are going to get bent over and violated without any lubrication. It's coming, folks, and we're going to have to work together when this is all done. Thank you, Dale. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. So I, I want to I thank everybody so far. We've got three questions. I want to thank everybody in the audience for hanging in with us. These last three questions are probably the most important of all of them. Again, panel members, if we can focus on the question and, and keep it to three minutes so we can get all three of these questions answered. The last one is actually one that's near and dear to my heart, and I'd like to be able to get to that and debate it. Um, but first, I want to go ahead and start. Let's see. I lost track of who I started with last time, so I'm going to go ahead and... Do I? Okay. <laughs> then I'll, I'll start with the yeses this time then. Um, will marijuana become more expensive for low-income medical patients, and how will veterans, the disabled, and people with low income afford to have to obtain medication on this market under 64? And Sister Kate, can I get you to start this time? Oh, okay. Um, I think that the idea that every person, with or without a cannabis card, with or without a reason, has the right through Prop 64 to have six plants indoor is the beginning of that. We're big proponents of people growing their own medicine. We give away high CBD seeds everywhere we can. The real anarchist move is making it so people can take it out of their garden or off of the shelf in their house and make tea out of it and make their own medicine. So I do think Prop 64 goes, takes that first important step in plant freedom that essentially says no resident of California has to buy their medicine if they have a place to grow their six plants. So I think that's the most important thing. I also think that, that there are things in here where they're going to give preference to nonprofits that actually give away medicine to vets and to cancer patients and so forth. That is for the nonprofits. Somebody earlier led you to believe, perhaps, that you're not allowed to give away cannabis. That's not true. There is propositions in here for nonprofits who give away cannabis for those kind. Of, you're not allowed to give it away as a marketing thing, is my understanding. Thank you, Sister Kay. I'll let you I'm better let you. It looks like there's some unhappy people out there, and I might have something wrong. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll ask the audience to please please refrain from things like that. Um, Kevin? <laughs> Kevin, go ahead and address this issue. I'd like to actually let Leticia, I'd yield my time to uh, Ms. Pepper right now if that would be possible. messages that there would be a one minute time to answer and they'd cut the mic off at the end. So I was lied to and I said I won't participate in a in a, a talk show like that. That's not how you talk about a legal issue. So I, I did not come up because of that. And then the rule was changed right at the beginning. It's going to be three minutes. So here's the stuff about the nonprofits. Sean Parker called Valerie Corral, that wonderful person from WAM, and he called her in person and he said, don't worry, I put protection for you in here. We will protect WAM and nonprofits. So she believed that until I wrote out and explained to her why that isn't true. If they wanted to protect nonprofits, they would have put it in the law, and they didn't. So you'll see, they talk about nonprofits and say, we're going to consider this issue later. That means anything they didn't put in there, you're not going to get. And here's another reason you won't get it. 
If you read Prop 64, you will see the word medicine never appears in it, not once. The word medicinal appears when they talk once about turning this plant into pharmacological agents. That means molecules to make fucking patented drugs out of. That's what's behind this. So they are not going to have nonprofits where they let people give away a dangerous drug that's like tobacco and alcohol because Prop 64 basically says marijuana is like tobacco and alcohol. So they can syntax it to death, charge people a bunch of money, and make money. This is a trick. This whole damn initiative is a trick, and this debate was set up to be a trick, but it's not working out too well for them, is it? Thank you. Dale, I'd like to give you the opportunity to respond. Oh, it's me? It's on to you. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to find the specific provision in 64 that specifically authorizes nonprofits. And if you want to know that, I'll look it up when we get done here because I'm trying to get to some things here that are very important, okay? There also, that question mixes apples and oranges. Again, Prop 64 in its definition says that marijuana means non-medical. The only part that crosses over into the medical is the taxation part of this. Everything else about Prop 64 is non-medical. So when you mix medical and non-medical and you say 64, you're doing apples and oranges. And so you've got to separate that out. Right now, Prop 215 has been weakened considered by the courts. You can still be arrested and prosecuted, but you can defend yourself in court. Now, it's not being done because... I was in court a bunch of times. Molly was in court a bunch of times. We saw prosecutors get their ass kicked 20 plus times in front of juries and they decided, well, this ain't working so well, we'll back away. So there are medical rights, but you can still be pinched for having any marijuana and you have to face prosecution. That's the facts right now. It's not being done because there aren't law enforcement resources to do that, okay? Now, what's going away with Macursa, which is the medical side, is any protections these Weed for Warriors guys have, and I've talked to them about this, they do collectives and co-ops. You're going to lose that. The cops are chomping at the bit to be able to go after, especially the bigger growers. The smaller ones, there aren't the resources to go after them. But you legally can be prosecuted if you continue to grow, grow collectively or cooperatively after 2018. In 64, there is the ability to have a nonprofit, but they're going to leave a lot of this up to the local people. That's where the problem starts, and that's where we all have to work together. Because it really doesn't matter much what 64 says. If you can't go to your local jurisdiction and get a permit, you ain't got shit in 64. That's just the facts. So when this is all done, whether 64 wins or not, McCursor requires that you go get a local permit before you can even apply for a state license. And if your local guys are saying, you can't do that here, guess what? The Supreme Court has said, we're going to allow, under their constitutional ability to, to govern their land use, we're going to allow them to say, you can't do that here. Too bad. Go piss up a rope. That's what we face right now. So we have to go here to the legislature and get things changed. We have to go to city councils and board of supervisors to convince these policymakers. And I hope Kevin gets to be one of them. So we can go inside the branches of government and say, come on, guys, we ain't criminals. We're not bad people. We raise children. We got jobs. Give us a break so we can take care of our sick brethren and we can take care of people who don't want to go get a recommendation for third eye glaucoma. Okay, let's stop all that nonsense. If you're really sick, get your recommendation. Molly and I had 
10, 15,000 people. I know what it takes. But to go get a recommendation on Skype for third eye glaucoma, come on, the average voter goes, that's just quasi-recreational already. Why are we playing all these games? Exactly. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Dave, can we go ahead and have you address the issue now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, we want to talk about how the AUMA will or will not um, make it either inexpensive or inexpensive for uh, patients. Well, um, you know, there, there's a lot, a lot that's been said and a lot to respond to, but the, um, the fact is it's going to make it more expensive for patients. Uh, there is a section in AUMA that says you cannot give away cannabis for free. Um, now, AUMA supporters have spun that to say that uh, you just have to pay the taxes on it, but that's really not clear at all. In fact, it just is meant there so that people aren't giving away cannabis for free. Um, as far as the nonprofit aspect of it, you know, there's the potentially ways that through MRSA that things could be done, but the real problem is what um, Dale just said, which is the... Um, the local versus state control. So in every city in throughout California, we're gonna have to have a local permit to be able to have any type of marijuana operation, extraction, edible production, uh, dispensary, anything. You're gonna have to have a local permit. The number of cities in California that have those is only a couple dozen. So it, it, out of the entire state, there's only a couple dozen cities that have been able to pass laws to permit and allow operations. So, you know, when you get into the expenses and how much it's going to cost, you also have to factor in the lobbying expenses for people to actually open up their business. Because if you wanted to open up in uh, L.A. is a great example. L.A. has zero permits. Every dispensary in Los Angeles will be illegal as soon as this passes. Actually, as soon as MRSA goes into effect in 2018, because not a single dispensary in LA has a permit. So you're going to have to spend, somebody's going to have to spend a lot of money in the millions of dollars range to lobby the governments in Los Angeles County, all the different cities out there, um, to actually have a permit to allow them to operate. And, you know, be, Speaking from experience, doing this in a major city, the third largest in the state, it's not cheap, it's not easy, it's not guaranteed, and the only people who will be able to exceed are those with really deep pockets, and then they'll have to pay back those deep pockets. So you get into uh, an expense that, once factored into the cannabis, you could easily see ounces over $500 an ounce which in, in today's market in California, there, there are dispensaries that have $100 ounces. So that, that's all going to go away because you can't afford to do it. So is the cost going to go up? Guaranteed it's going to go up. It's going to cost more to buy legal weed in California than it has ever cost to buy weed in California. And there's going to be a thriving black market because of this. Thank you, Dave. Russ? Yeah, all right. Um, to open up, I just want to set the record straight. Uh, I've never received a dime from Marijuana Policy Project. I've never received a dime from Drug Policy Alliance. And I last worked for Normal in 2012. I've never been paid by any legalization campaign. I only support them because I don't want to be a criminal anymore. All right, now to the cost for medical marijuana. Uh, there is within Prop 64 the added taxation of $9.25 per ounce at the cultivation site. 
but the 15% excise tax does not apply to medical purchases. If all other things stayed the same, if we had the same amount of growers growing the same amount of crop, selling it at the same number of outlets to the same number of people demanding it at the same rate, then yeah, your $300 ounce will now cost $309.25. But all other things aren't going to stay the same. Once you open up massive amounts of cultivation, once you have far more outlets, and once you have so much more demand, the economy of scale, the laws of supply and demand, work on cannabis just like they work on everything else. The prices will go down. And this isn't a guess. This is historical fact. In the state of Colorado, or the state of Washington, when they started their, medical, they started their recreational, recreational legalization, they had an initial price surge that brought prices anywhere between $15 to $25 a gram. But once they started ramping up the production, that price has gone nothing but down month after month to the point where now Botech analysis has shown the average price, average price per gram in Washington state is $9. In Oregon, the average price per gram used to be around $12. Now it's down to $9.33. In Colorado, when they first started, their average price per gram was $12.65. It's now down to $8.63. So opening up production, opening up more cultivation, more supply, more outlets through the laws of economics is going to reduce the price. So yeah, might be an extra 925 for the ounce, but if the ounce drops from 300 to 150, you overall are making a, making a profit on that. Thank you, Russ. And Sean, final word on this issue? Yeah, I'll touch on a couple things. First, it was uh, about the poor. The reality is veterans, the disabled, the elderly on Social Security who use this for a medicine are screwed. End of story. I've talked about it. They're going to be forced onto the black market. Then that's where the prohibitionist state is going to be targeting. So basically, this is the analogy. Let's get real here. Everyone remember Elmer Fudd and the Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck when it's shoot him, no shoot him, no shoot him. DPA, MPP, and normal, and the people over there are, are Daffy Duck, and they're pointing the gun at us and saying, the poor, the disabled, and say, shoot them. We're the cost of freedom for them. We're the cost of freedom for Marin kids to, to have legal aids. We're the, we're the cost of freedom for kids in Beverly Hills to have free weed. And, it, well, and they're the ones who are going to be selling it to us. Let's get real. That's what this is about. I'd like to say uh, to Russ, you know, I have a business degree and finance degree from the University of California, Berkeley. I know you went to Boise State. But uh, your economic predictions, your prediction of price, uh, I'll debate that on your show anytime because... You have California, one is a unique state. We have legalized weed, we've had weed for many years. We grow it in large amounts. These other states just started growing it. You are gonna open up legalized weed to 40 plus million Californians, put 40, you know, 200 plus pages of regulation, put tags on every plant, and you're telling, and by the way, 10% sales tax, 15% excise tax, and AUMA, that's 25%. These localities are putting up to 10% taxes, you're at 35. And that doesn't include the VAT tax they're putting on to the growers, which is about 10% of what they sell to the distribution company. You're going to be paying 40% more for your taxes. The, you, your, your numbers, you want to talk, you, Trump or Hillary, you're acting like a politician with your claims. We don't have the, the, the freedom or the luxury to make claims that are in fantasy land. We have to deal with the reality. And the reality is my veterans, our veterans who sacrificed so much for us, you are telling them, yeah, screw you. That's exactly what you're telling them with this bill. I urge California to vote no on this bill, and we need to have a real debate. 
These people have been sitting there going, uh, you know, hey, this is the prohibitionist versus all us we know. Everyone in the industry here hates this bill. The patients hate this bill. Even the supporters hate this bill. This isn't about going forward. This bill takes us back. Vote no. Thank you, thank you, Sean. Moving on to our next question. Um, can you cite in Alma where the tax money will go? Will it benefit the schools, the roads, the parks, the infrastructures, or the homeless? And we're going to start off with uh, Dale now. Well, there's an entire section on taxation. And I believe what was learned from the lottery was that if you put money in the hands of these guys in the general fund, they piss it away. And that's just as, as simple as I can make it. So there was a special fund set up for this estimated $1 billion that's going to be coming into the hands of the controller. And there are some things it's going to be spent on. There's going to be $50 million a year when it's up and running for redevelopment into cities that have been hit hardest by the war on drugs. The California Highway Patrol is going to get $3 million a year, I think, for five years to study how do we know if someone's actually impaired on the roadway when they're operating a vehicle under the influence of marijuana. Because right now, doing a, a test for per se does not mean anything. If you're a medical user and you use 1,000 milligrams a day, you're going to have a lot of THC in your system. It doesn't mean you can't operate a car properly. There is a intoxication under alcohol model out there we're going to have to bust through. Okay? The first thing is going to pay for itself. Then it's going to get $50 million a year for the government to go to, to redevelopment in the inner cities. Uh, there's going to be money going to the University of California to study whether we need to make modifications for this. Uh, and at the end of the day, that, those dedicated funds are going to be $100 million plus. The rest of it, 60% goes into a special fund to target the inner cities where kids are dropping out of school, got substance abuse issues, and they're going to put money into nonprofits through the Department of Health and Education to go in there and try to teach kids and their parents who happen to be drug addicts too how to get off of this, how to deal with it. 60% of that remaining money goes there. 20% goes to try and clean up the mess that's happening in our environment out there right now. Okay, And then 20% goes to a fund for law enforcement and local jurisdictions who are going to try to enforce this. Now, the CHP is named a couple of times because there's going to be ongoing discussions with scientists to figure out how do we protect people on the road. Honestly, I started smoking in 1971, and to think that I didn't drive a couple of times after smoking pot, come on, let's not be disingenuous here. I don't think I was ever a risk on the roadway, but you accidentally take 1,000 milligrams and you're an inexperienced, I don't want you on the road. Because i got kids and grandkids out there. You're going to crash into something, okay? There are limits to how much you can have in your system before you are too impaired to drive. And this is not a central nervous system depressant. So we can't use the alcohol model. So that is where this money is designed to go in the big picture. And there's going to be studies at the University of California and other universities on how do we implement this money to be spent where it can try to undo what the war on drugs and these knuckleheads growing up in our forest have been doing to our environment. Thank you, Dale. I'm going to move over to Kevin now. Can you cite where the tax money will go? Will it benefit the schools, roads, parks, infrastructures, or the homeless? Let me tell you how much money is going to schools, teachers' salaries, new school construction, 
roads, and homeless housing from P64. Zero. When my opponent talks about how no money will go into the general fund, you mean the general fund that pays for our roads and our fire departments and our police departments and our domestic violence shelters for women? That's where the money goes for the general fund. Instead, this is a giveaway to special interests, the same people that support OMA behind the scenes are the same people who support the CHP. This is crony capitalism. This is special interest on steroids. This is a giveaway to Big Pot. There was zero collaboration, zero, from the activist community. They didn't reach out to us. They did, we have lawyers too. We have powerful media departments. They didn't reach out to us. Why? They're not important. This is big, big money. We've been calling for a tax and regulate scheme since I was a 19-year-old sophomore at Chico State. And we're finally here, tax, regulate. And it's not going to where it should go. This is a horrible, horrible bill or initiative. And I'm not going to make ad hominem attacks against anybody up here. We're all people of goodwill. I'll say it again. My name's Kevin Saunders. My name's not Kevin Sabat. I'm embarrassed to share the same first name as Kevin Sabat. My father was a drug enforcement agent, but he stood up and he spoke out and he quit and became a special ed teacher. I understand what goes on with law enforcement. I've been fighting law enforcement for the last five years in Marina after expelled from law school. I understand, I have a mild hatred in my bones for law enforcement, but law enforcement is needed. They're who we call when we're in trouble, when our women folk are in trouble. We have to support police. They have to be at the table. And I was attacked today unfairly because of my and Kitty's connections to the prison guard union. We brought these people to the table and now they're stuck on the island of medical. There's nowhere going back. So now we can capture that, we have their attention, we can move forward. We need to have law enforcement at the table. Thank you, Kevin. These people are gonna be needing CBD. The prison guards who basically are in prison themselves are gonna be needing CBD. Cops who are now going, DEA agents, like my dad's partners, are going into the medical marijuana industry. Now, we have their attention, let's not keep law enforcement, thank let's not keep it a negative situation, let's embrace them. They have a role in this as well. Thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm going to move over to Sister Kate now. Um, can you cite normal where the tax money will go? Will it benefit the infrastructure? Will it benefit the roads, the parks, or the homeless? Well, I think they both just answered it. I mean, we, we, we know that there's the intention of it is to take care of some of those, some of the inner city problems, take care of doing the studies, 
take they from my perspective they did the best job they could in building in a loop that gives feedback and adjusts it and i'd like to know was is it really crony capitalism because i just heard him say that cops are now getting into the business so are those cops the crony capitalists we're talking about because this isn't crony capitalism this is progress this is a step we don't like it there's a lot we don't like about it step but backwards. it is a step step back we have a new question I'm going to go ahead and move it over to yeah. Sean now. Your your thoughts on this topic. This is what I love. I think, you know, it's like I feel we're at the uh, in the Pentagon getting a briefing and they say a whole lot of nothing. Um, so let me give you as a ground guy what, what's really going on with this. This money is going into a fund that's controlled by a governor, a government-pointed person, the marijuana czar. Uh, this is really uh, the purse strings of the governor. Uh, behind the scenes, I can tell you, I talked to almost all these people. We forged, we have access. It is as joked as as the Governor Newsom 2024 presidential campaign slush fund. Okay, this is going to be like foreign policy money, foreign aid. And, you know, in Central America, I saw a lot of it. Billions and billions of dollars to El Salvador and Colombia. And it, it, it's trickle-down economics. It goes to the rich and a little bit trickles down to everyone else. So they're going to, they're going to spread it around to the people who help them. This is the problem with one of the big problems with this bill. It is and promotes continuation of the shitty ass government system we have, where money is all that turns the wheels of our government. And listen, there comes a point in time you talk about we haven't been able to put together a bill. I can tell you that we warriors is new to this. We're getting behind something in 2018. I think we can push it. Also, the marijuana environment uh, community is changing. So when you say they couldn't do something in 2010 or six or eight, yeah, neither did you. This is a bad bill, vote against it. Thank you, Sean. To be fair to everybody, I'm gonna go to you, Russ, and you sure. can answer in on this topic. Yeah, right in uh, uh, Prop 64, section 34019 is what uh, it specifies where the tax revenue shall go. Uh, 340081 is the one that establishes the California Tax Fund and uh, as was noted, is not part of the general fund. And, and as uh, Dale pointed out, that the lottery and other experiences have shown us, you put it in the general fund, and that's where it starts getting distributed to all the people that got connections because now there's no strings attached to it. It's general. We can just do whatever we like. Move that money anywhere you want. According to 34019, first we're going to cover the costs of running the program. That'll be for the cost of collecting taxes, but that can't be over 4%. Uh, costs for implementing and administering and enforcing the regulations up through the year 2022. Costs for fish and wildlife, water resources, and pesticide regulation for cleanup. Costs for the controller to audit. Costs for the state auditor to audit. Costs for the legislative analyst office. And funds to reimburse the cost of applying state labor laws. Once those costs are paid out of the billion dollars that are raised, and they're not going to cost anywhere near a billion dollars, Next, we send $10 million to uh, California's universities uh, every year uh, for 10 years to uh, research and evaluate the effect of Prop 64. Universities are, I understand in California, public. So public schools will be getting some of the tax money. Not the elementary, not the middle school, not the high school, but the universities will. $3 million to CHP to research driving impairment every year uh, for five years. $10 million expanding to $50 million over the span of five years for the Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development for community reinvestment grants that will help support job placement, mental health treatment, substance abuse disorder treatment, navigation, legal services, and medical care for communities disproportionately affected by past state drug policies. 
Then we'll send $2 million to University of California, San Diego, so that they can uh, study the effects of cannabis and, and uh, how it might uh, best be uh, labeled and, and uh, uh, controlled. Anything that's left after spending that money, and again, we're talking a million dollars, so there'll be plenty left. 60% of that goes to youth drug prevention, youth education prevention and early intervention at the Department of Healthcare Services to educate them about substance use disorders. Then another 20% goes to environmental cleanup to help clean up the, uh, the wilderness areas of California that have been polluted and ruined by uh, illegal grows. And finally, 20% uh, going to protect public health and safety in the state and local government law enforcement account. That will uh, help CHP for enforcing DUI, help the uh, Highway Patrol to uh, grant nonprofits the ability to uh, study DUI science, the Board of State and Community Corrections for addressing public health and safety, and those grants cannot go to cities that have banned any of the Prop 64 licensing. And in 2022, uh, it can't be less than $10 million for that. So that's where the money will be going. And uh, it's far more money being raised for the state of California than is being donated by the current illegal prohibition system. <laughs> and the final speaker on this topic is going to be Dave. Well, I got a mic again. Okay, so um, let me let me just correct Russ on that that last part. Um, and one of the questions that we missed that was on your list is asset forfeiture. There is a lot of money that is going to maintain the war on drugs currently that is gained through seizing the assets of drug dealers, right? So there is a lot of money going from the black market into people's hands um, in the government. And when you follow the money, you really see the, why the war on drugs is the way it is. But as far as the tax revenue and how it's broken up, what you have to understand is why they have all those different things listed. It's not because they're trying to do good. It's because they're trying to get polling points. They, because it sounds better to say, give it to this, give it to that. But in reality, there's somebody in the governor's office or appointed by the governor that will decide what charities, who, what this money goes to in reality. Because there's, there's broad spectrums of... Yes, it, it needs to go to drug education, but whose drug education nonprofit is it going to, right? Is it, is it Jerry Brown's uh, wife's or best friend's? Uh, all this is going to be controlled by, well, I guess it would be Gavin Newsom uh, by the time it goes into effect. But what we're looking at is a situation where it's not as clear as, as it should be. Um, the money is being divided up in almost an arbitrary w way to make it sound like uh, it's better for everybody, when in reality it's the governor's office that gets to control all this money, and there's very little say from anybody else. Thank you, Dave. Um, before I move to the last question, um, I do want to really quickly address the issue. We didn't do asset forfeiture because of the bill that was signed last week. Um, none of us have had a chance to look to see at the impact or what it was going to do, so we, we chose to skip that on purpose. Um, this final question, I've got to tell you, is probably the one most important to me. Those who know me know that I'm a, a land use regulatory attorney, and I've been fighting jurisdictions all over the state of California thanks to the Riverside case and the morale and live oak cases, which basically give the local jurisdictions too much power. 
And I want this board to convince me one way or another how either passage or not passage of this bill is going to make it easier for the attorneys like us that are in the trenches to help the local businesses be able and the local patients and the local recreational users, how it's going to help or hinder them. So I'm going to go ahead and actually start with Kevin on this one. Thank you very much. Hello. Thank you. Uh, Ma'am, I, when I was in law school, one of my hardest classes was real property. And I recognized very early that land use zoning was going to play a big part of this, especially after, the, like you mentioned, the Riverside and decision. So I commend you for, like you said, fighting in the trenches. I really, I really mean that. Um, I would have my dispensary open in Marina had the uh, Riverside decision gone the other way. But I'm actually glad it went the way it went. Let me explain. Munitions companies, fracking companies could have come into our towns and used the Riverside case as it had it gone the other way and said, based on this pot case, we want to put fracking in your communities. Cities wouldn't be able to say, no, not in our neighborhood. Unfortunately, they're doing that with medical marijuana. You see it all the way. It's discriminatory. We're supposed to be a city or a state of uniformity, uniform of law, uniformity of law. That's not the case. Prop 215 did not say that only liberal, progressive, enlightened communities on the coasts will give you access with the pockets of other parts. It said the state of California. We got a raw deal on it. So OMA comes along. And what does it do? Allows cities to ban, but with no outlet. We can't have a vote on it. No, it's set in stone. It's done. That's to control the supply and demand. It's monopoly. It's economics. Monopoly and oligopoly. They want you to buy those $70 eights with all those taxes. They didn't even announce a fee schedule. They don't even tell you how much your fees are going to cost. We can't even plan as families and as businesses how our next year is going to be. That's why we have laws and regulations so you can plan. They don't even tell you how much tax schedule it's going to be. How much do we know it's going to be? And they say they keep out big farms for five years. Oh, five years. Well, then what happens after five years? You know how quick that's going to go? No, 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 no. If this was a just and righteous bill, which it is not, it does not stand up the values of Prop 215, California is a different beast. We have turf, factionalism, and ego on steroids, way more than Colorado, Washington, or Oregon will ever have. This is a fifth-generation former racket, now legal-regulated industry. MRSA strengthened that, in my opinion. OMA will take us back. And if these people really cared and they really wanted to make this a fair and an equitable initiative, they would have said, okay, cities, you want to ban it? Okay, you're not going to get a piece of that pie but we're going to allow an opportunity for the people. And I could be a mayor of a town in 33 days. And my first thing on agenda 
First thing I'm going to do is lift the ban on medical marijuana. Not just on dispensaries. It's the first thing. That's where the power is. All politics is local, said Thomas Tip O'Neill. All politics is local. Thank you, Kevin. Russ? Uh, yeah, so the question is, um, well, generally, right now the way the law is set up and, and the way that Merca is set up is that local jurisdictions can still ban. And for people like me that work in a local jurisdiction, um, we're having difficulty getting anything for our patients um, because there's so many bans throughout the state. So I want you to convince me one way or another why 64 would be good for my local battle. All right. Well, uh, the first reason it would be good for your local battle is because marijuana would be legal. And so that helps a lot in trying to convince people that you're not up to any nefarious activities, I would think. As far as the uh, zoning and, and, and bans and such, uh, I believe that uh, Prop 64 uh, maintains the uh, ability of cities and counties to be able to uh, do these kind of things. I'm going to defer to Dale a little more on this question, though, because it starts to get into the... Uh, the intricacies of all that kind of local California law. I do not see anything in Prop 64 that's going to make the battle any more difficult than what you faced already under Prohibition. Thank you. <laughs> Sean, can I have you address the issue? Yeah, I think I'd like to take a general view, uh, to, you know, 20,000 foot view, and this is this. The study came out and said cannabis use is directly correlated to cannabis access. End of story. So when you restrict access, whether it be by not denying it locally, pricing, regulation, less people will substitute that for pharmaceuticals. We're losing 100,000 American citizens each year to overdoses of pharmaceuticals and suicides. We have a test that shows, we have a study, 10% reduction in suicides, 25% reduction in uh, overdoses in cities in states where cannabis access is easy. That's over 14 to 15,000 Americans that would be sitting at the Thanksgiving table and the Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa tables this holiday. Those are the faces of why we need to vote this down. Because when my veteran can't get access for many of the reasons this bill is going to do it, he's more likely to commit suicide and he's more likely to be get addicted to his pharmaceutical opiates and overdose. I'm going to leave it there, but I want to give a big shout-out to a few people. Shelby Lucero, thank you very much for putting this on. That's awesome. And, you know, she, had a, she has a, a case going on here in Sacramento that we're going to get behind. Sec and second, I want, to, I want to give a huge shout-out to one of person who got me involved in this, and that's Letitia Pepper over there in the red. Um, she's absolutely a tireless advocate. She drives me insane half the time. But you know why? It's for the right cause. She cares and she cares about the patients. Too many of these people up, you know, around here, I'm, I'm not saying anyone, but too many of these people around here care about one thing with this bill, their own, their own self. Because they either get, make money or they have a felony and they're hoping it can get reduced. And that's what they, they put, they're sprinkling it for that, for the self-interest. We cannot allow this to pass. And so Letitia, Shelby, and everyone who helped put this on, including the Yes on uh, 64 side, thank you for coming down from Oregon, Russ. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, thank you, and thank you for having us. Thanks, Sean. We appreciate that. Uh, Sister Kate. Yes? So our, uh, the question is... Is this our closing part? This is, well, close to it. Yeah, it's the closing part. <laughs> um, did you have an uh, opinion or a, a preference for how Yes on 64 is going to help 
those of us in locally with local bands. No, I, it doesn't do anything like they, I agree with the other table. I, from what I see, they're, the only thing it's going to do is it prohibits them from prohibiting, it, prohibiting us from having six plants indoor. And to me, that's still a step in the right direction because we're real big on people growing their own medicine. I hate PG&E. We have to fight for outdoor grow. We have to undo those county bans, and we have to put pressure on. But let me tell you, we came from Merced, the Central Valley, the toilet bowl of America, the toilet bowl of California and America. And right now, we have four or five different companies who've been working for many years serving the people. And all of their permits, all of their licensing is put in a pile. They're waiting to see if Prop 64 passes. And so let me tell you, all across the valley, regard, I know that the activists over here are rejecting this because it's not good enough. And I agree with them. It's not good enough. But as soon as it passes, our legislators in the valley see that as a green light from the public that they can quit arresting our young people. So this becomes very important to them. This Prop 64 passing becomes important from the position of saying, yes, California wants wreck. It doesn't say this bill is perfect. Our activism just begins. But it does say to very simple minds in a very simple dark place that California wants wreck. And that, I'm sorry, that's the way it is right now. Thank you. Uh, Dave, go ahead. Well, uh, do I have a mic? Okay. Well, this issue is something very, very important to me, and the only reason I can't support 64. This is what makes 64 a bad law. It's not that it's not good enough. It's bad. So while I was working on MCLR, which is an uh, initiative we tried to circulate around and get everybody's consensus on and try to actually build... Uh, unity throughout the industry, which is much easier said than done. Uh, some of our some of our stops were to the Capitol and to meet some of the people working on MRSA. And over and over, what they told me is, "Hey, I think it's great what you're doing. The one thing that we can't get past is this local versus state issue. We need you to fix it in an initiative." That was direct words coming from multiple politicians working on MRSA. So they understand the problem, but the problem is politically saying you're going to take away local control is something a politician can never do. You can't, you can't have a job back there and say, I want to take away local control. It is impossible. It's physically possible, theoretically possible, but it is politically impossible. So what has to be done if we only had one, one small – and in the workings of MCLR, we actually went from a – 100-page document down to a one-page document. We have a whole bunch of different versions. But in the one-page document, the key, the core, was a unified state regulatory agency. And that is not what we have with Prop 64 at all. In fact, we have the complete opposite. You have to have local and city permits. And it's not a case. I was there to watch the Riverside case, and... That was crazy, watching the Supreme Court and how that all worked out. I mean, there's a, a bunch of other political sides of how the court worked that you don't understand until you watch the Supreme Court actually work. But political uh, motivations affect the Supreme Court, and it's the same issue with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court couldn't have gone against the cities and given, uh, thrown out local control, and that was the, the perspective. 
the only way this can be done is through the vote of a people. And in the first version of Prop 64, they had it the way it should be. They said, oh, okay, well, you can't ban unless you go to the vote of a people. And that, under that, given all the other flaws in it, I was still willing to support it because that is the key issue. As the lawyer right here just said, she's running around the state fighting these issues. This locks it into voter law. We can't change it unless the voters change it. So we're, we, the voters, are saying, oh, well, we don't care. We'll let you guys continue your bans all over the place, and we'll give you more power to do bans. And that's effectively what this does. So it, as far as how it affects local control and the dynamics that we have that every business operator in this industry deals with of local regulations versus state regulations and what is legal here and what is not legal there, Prop 64 takes the opposite direction and makes the problem a hundred times worse. So, you know, it, it's, if you, you had to ask, like, what is my one reason for not supporting this bill? Is it, it, it's not good enough? No, it's bad. It is a bad bill that hands power over to law enforcement to arrest people who are, think that they're doing everything legal in the current industry. Now that's not going to exist. Now we lock it in place and say, hey, if your city doesn't give you a permit to grow your six plants in your house, then you can't do it. Because guess what? It doesn't say that every person has to grow six plants or the city can't stop them from growing six plants. It, ha it says they can't ban it. There's a difference between banning and regulation. And in San Jose, where most of my experience has been, that's exactly what they did. We went from 80 dispensaries down to 16. All the 16 right now are losing money because the regulations are so crazy, the limitations are so crazy, and when you give this power to the cities, you take away any hope we have for having the industry that we all envision. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Dale, it'd be the final commenter on this issue. Okay. There we go. Turn them on. Okay. Um, it's hard to talk about this from the standpoint of being an attorney without getting a little bit wonky. So I'll try not to get too wonky about this, but it was over three decades ago that I sat through real property and I didn't give two rats about riparian rights or local ordinances. I didn't care. Wasn't on the bar exam, so who cared about it? Now I'm beginning to get a little more feeling for how important those are gonna be in this industry. Beginning right here in Sacramento in our third circuit in 2000, I believe in five, Mike, Urza Sanu's case came forward and said, your Prop 215 rights, you don't have rights to have to go out and grow, accumulate, and dispense marijuana, okay? They then moved forward uh, and started to do these bans, okay? Under the Constitution, Article 11, Section 7 gives every local jurisdiction the right to control their land use, as I'm sure you well understand, okay? Lanny Swerdlow and THCF, and the Inland Empire went to court and said, hey, you, you know, you, you can't do this. We have rights under Prop 215. And the Supreme Court said, uh, no, you don't. And they did an analysis of preemption and said, no, Prop 215 does not preempt local authority under the Constitution to ban. And in that case, it was a dispensary. And not long after that, in a few months here in Live Oak, Marall case came out and said, we're going to ban even a personal medical garden. 
case, some people ran to court and filed a declaratory relief action and asked for injunctive relief. And what happened is the city filed a demur. And for those who don't know what that means, it means, yeah, so what? The Supreme Court said, you ain't got no rights. And we can do what we want. The trial court sustained that. They ran to the appellate court, and the appellate court said, yeah, you ain't got no rights under Prop 215 to do this. And this Constitution gives those rights to these local jurisdictions. That's how we come into this, okay? McCursa, and you can say whatever you want about what it did for local jurisdictions, did not stop local jurisdictions from doing whatever the hell they want with permits and land use, okay? 64 took a step in the direction towards reining in this amount of control. And the courts are going to help us figure this out. But right now under 64.11362.1 et sec of this says you can grow six plants. The locally, they can force you to go indoors, but they can't stop you from growing six plants per residence. Now, what that does is it sends a message out there to not only your next door neighbor who's pissed off because he can smell your skunk weed and want you to stop it, but to local government say, you know what? The guy growing six plants ain't hurting nobody. You can't see it from the road. He's keeping it indoors. He's not giving it to your kids. Back up a little bit, okay? So what happens when this happened after 215 is across the country, activists said, gee, if California can do it, so can we, okay? And 64 is gonna tell local jurisdictions, you know, hang on for a second. You don't have the right to just totally ban this. And what we see across the state right now are initiatives by activists and voters to take it to the voters. Should they be allowed to ban here? What level of tax are we gonna have? So as this gets unleashed onto the populace and they understand that, you know what, the sky didn't fall because you let your next door neighbor grow six plants, okay? They're, they're not crashing and killing people on the roadway because of this. Maybe we can move further down the road and get more initiatives on the ballot in local jurisdictions to actually have the voters say, no, you can't ban this. We want X number of cultivation sites or we want cultivation distribution, we want manufacturing, we want retail outlets. We want to be able to have people smoke inside these retail outlets. Right now, without Prop 64, there isn't one damn thing you can do to stop a local jurisdiction from banning anything and everything about marijuana activity. And you maintain your status as a criminal. With 64, it opens the door a little bit. It ain't perfect, I wish it was more, but nobody on my side of this or their side or anybody out there has a magic wand to wave and give everybody everything they want. This is politics, it's sausage making. It makes me sick sometimes, but Dale. it's sausage making. And that's where this is gonna be. When we're done with November, all of us are gonna have to shake hands and go, okay, we gotta make some sausage now, okay? Take your anti-emetics and go deal with these people making policy and we have to fix this thing. Thank you, Dale. I appreciate that. I appreciate everyone's. We are actually, I had my uh, co-host out in the lobby. We are going to take a question, but it's two o'clock. And so we do have to get stuff wrapped up. I want to take a moment and thank everyone. Russ um, Belleville, Sister Kate, Dale Schaefer, Letitia Pepper, Kevin Saunders, uh, Sean Kiernan, right? I want to make sure I don't mispronounce yep. it. Thank you. And Dave Hodges, uh, and my, my co-host and Shelby. Um, oh, she is saying I can have five more minutes. Okay, so is there an odd, is there a question? Oh, I get five questions. Wow, we get a whole lot of time. Um, what we're going to do is we'll let the, a question from the audience. I'll allow one person from each panel to respond so that we can get through those five questions and uh, make sure we don't exert our permit. So uh, go ahead with the first question. 
first question, uh, both sides can answer, obviously, but I'm going to direct it to Gail. With cities and counties having the right to regulate in their boundaries, and those cities that don't allow adult cultivation, what is the impact to the patients that are going to grow indoors with regards to their homeowners insurance? Okay. Um, I've had some uncomfortable epiphanies talking to insurance agents. Um, this is another level of problems that have nothing to do with state law. Insurance runs your life, whether we like it or not. I mean, there are laws you have to have it to drive around, but if your house burns down and you've got an insurance policy, you want to make sure you can turn in a claim and get paid. If your next door neighbor's house burns down and burns your house up, you want to be able to make a claim. Right now, there are exclusions in the typical homeowner's policy from being able to have a claim paid if you are illegally growing something in there that is, and this is under the federal understanding that it's illegal under federal law, but under state law, it still remains illegal. So if your next door neighbor is growing pot and his, you know, his extra extension plug set his house on fire and burns his house down and yours too, you make a claim, guess what? They're gonna deny the claim. And if it's you doing that, you're gonna get your claim denied too. It's not a comfortable feeling to start understanding that there are layers of problems have nothing to do with whether 64 gets passed or not. Because if you're a medical grower and you do have an ability locally to grow pot, but you can't grow it in your house because you can't pay a claim, can you put it outdoors in a greenhouse and have a claim be paid? Those are some things that I'm trying to get answers to, but I don't have a clear answer right now. Thank you, uh, Dale. Is there someone from the, the – yes, I'd like to address that. Dave, go ahead. Um, so as far as the insurance claims and how that's going to be affected, that, that's another example of where this bill falls short. Uh, one of the versions of MCLR that we wrote, we actually included a uh, both a financial co-op and a insurance co-op, especially for cannabis, to address these issues. But without a, a, a insurance agency that is willing to um, work with cannabis in any way, shape, or form, there's nothing you can do. So it, it's there's nothing in this bill that would help that in any way, shape, or form. No protections for insurance agencies and no alternatives. Let me, let me point out, the question was about being able to grow in your house. Under OMA, it's six plants per residence, not per patient. So if Dave and Sean and I want to go get a house together, and we want to grow, that's six plants between the three of us. Imagine how, that, how long that would go, especially between Dave's two ounce. Jeez, man, it's quite a press. Um, so just, just remember that. When they say six plants and you live with somebody, it's six plants per residence, not per patient. And it was written that way for a reason. Thank you, Kevin. Richard, what's our second question? Exposed to THC in edibles doubled after legalization. 
JAMA study. Did you know that the use in age 12 to 17 went up and that now Colorado leads the nation? Col California still has a way to go. Do you really want to go to the top? And did you, do you know why this is important? Are you, I'm a neuroscientist. Do you know about the link between marijuana and psychosis? We have a mom here from Colorado whose son has suffered that very experience and it is still in recovery, 16 years old. Thank you. As a Go ahead. Four, I'm 16, a 14, a 12 year old and a 10 year old. Uh, I, I obviously absolutely am concerned. I kind of view the prohibitionist view on this, though, as abstinence education only. It's not dealing in the real world. The real world is this. Your kids are exposed to marijuana starting in junior high, most of them. The, the studies they point are the self-administered kid answered you've ever smoked marijuana in the past three months. I remember those bubble tests. We lied. We made designs on them. They're not very accurate. I can tell you with 100% certainty, every single child in the public and private school system in the state of California in high school is exposed to marijuana almost weekly when they go out, people in their house smoking, whether it's a dad like myself who, who think. So let's deal in the reality in raising our kids. Education, not indoctrination. The psychosis study that you, that you, you quoted isn't exactly uh, uh, as you said, but that's the problem with a lot of this science that's out there. It's not science. I think one professor said 80% of these studies are observation studies, which is bullshit. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great. Great. These aren't re this isn't, this isn't double-blind placebo studies like Sue Sisley's going to do because they're just starting to approve those, okay? And they're just starting to kick off. The reality is this. No one wants their kids, trust me, doing marijuana unless it's for medical purposes. But this idea that this is going to increase exposure to kids is just nonsense in ignorance. Thank, we'll go ahead and let uh, Russ answer this question on the yes side. It's interesting because uh, the statistic about the uh, Colorado kids, the doubling, is a, another example of that statistical trick where you take a percentage to freak people out without looking at the absolute numbers. The numbers uh, for the kids went up from like 88 to 163 over the span of 12 months. So we're still talking about small, small numbers when you compare them to things like tied laundry pods that 7,000 kids get poisoned on. But nobody's talking about banning tied laundry pods. It's all about par parenting and being responsible and keeping these things out of kids' reach. Also with the statistic, we need to understand what it's actually telling us. It's not necessarily telling us more kids have gotten exposed to pot. It's telling us more people have gone to the ER for it and reported it as pot. Now, when pot is illegal and your kid gets into the brownie and you take him to the ER and the doc says, what happened? Are you going to turn to the doc and say, well, I let my child get into an illegal substance? No, you're going to say, oh, my kid got uh, 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 food poisoning. Yeah, that's it. So we could actually be seeing an increase in the reporting. More people are comfortable with saying their kid got into pot, but there's still the same number of kids that were getting into pot. You just can't know from a statistic like that. And as far as the, the psychosis thing goes, the big problem with all these studies is that uh, they're all based on correlation. As the other panelists mentioned, these are not double-blind placebo-controlled studies where you take half the psychotic people and tell them to take a placebo and the other half to take uh, cannabis and see what happens. We don't have that. 
So what we don't know about this is, does the marijuana lead to the psychosis, or do people who are on their way to psychosis crave marijuana to try to self-treat it? So there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I, I want to emphasize that people that have uh, any sort of family history or issues with mental health, probably not a good idea to mess up your mind on any substance, alcohol, marijuana, any other substance. But these tiny statistics of a few kids or a few people that have psychosis are no reason to criminalize the adults, the vast majority of it, who are, of them, who are using this responsibly, especially when alcohol is legal and causes far more problems that they don't seem to be as upset about. Thank you, Russ. Richard, can I have our third question, please? Hello, my name is Lynette Davies, and I had a question for you, but I first wanted to go over a little bit about the plants and the fines that cities and counties are actually fining. Like right now, Fresno is $1,000 per day per plant. And here in Sacramento, we have an ordinance that fines people $500 per day for watering their plant. So we have a law that Prop 64 is going to allow everybody six plants but it's not, they're also allowing cities and counties to place fines against people. Like in Rancho Cordova on the ballot right now, they want $600 per square foot to grow your plant inside your home if this passes. What kind of protections are gonna be guaranteed that you can even can grow six plants? So, well, uh, who, who wants to start on this one? All right, we'll let Dale start on this one. Okay. Hello, Lynette. Thank you for your question. Um, there's no guarantee anywhere of anything. Okay, and that really is the hardest reality to swallow about this. Trying to break through that constitutional right of a local jurisdiction to control its land use is going to be an uphill battle. But at least 64 gives the right to grow six plants and they can't ban it. Now, what does it mean to ban? This is something that's going to have to be litigated, quite frankly, because $600 a square foot, making people pay to water, things like that, those turn out to be effective bans. Okay? And so there will be people, and, and I, I don't know if I'll be one of them or not, but there will be attorneys who are going to go into court and say, what you're doing is an effective ban in violation of Prop 64, and they're going to start getting regulations by the courts on how this can be interpreted. Because right now, the cities and counties don't respect us. That's at the bottom of all this. They don't respect us. We're not even status of redheaded stepchildren right now. They think we're just criminals, so it doesn't matter. And they think we're all made of money. Okay? And Lynette, you run a dispensary, you know. The profit margins here are just not like what they might be for people running dope to New York and you know, tripling their price. There are some realities here that we're going to have to go in and litigate. And I'm sorry to say that, but attorneys are probably the ones that make out the most when there's any question in laws. And that's where this is going to end up. Thank you, Dale. Uh, who would like to address this issue on the no side? All right, Dave, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, he, he just made our own point, uh, which is that attorneys are the ones who are going to have to deal with this, attorneys and lobbyists, because a, a de facto ban means that, well, y nobody can do it. But that doesn't mean that out of a city of a million people, there's only 10 that can do it. you got 10 people doing it. That's not a ban. So really where it comes down to is what regulations are going to be placed, and those are 100% up in the hands of the city. And the city does not like us. 
the first neighbor complaint, I can guarantee your permit will go. As soon as somebody smells it next door, they'll complain to the city, and the city will say, well, do you have a permit for doing that? Yes. Well, sorry, it smells, so it's revoked. There's nothing to protect those issues. So this this thought that everybody is now going to have a right to grow six plants, it's really a fallacy because everybody's going to have a right to grow six plants if the city lets them, as long as the city doesn't ban them, right? So how many people in Sacramento are going to be able to get a permit to grow six plants? Or what's Sacramento's policy going to be? They could make another policy where, uh, well, you can grow six plants, but only if your house is... Um, 200 feet from the bridge and not adjacent to any other residents and, you know, just so that it, it still fits a few places in the city. And this is, you know, I, I hate to bring up San Jose again, but that is exactly what happened down there. I lost two dispensaries, one because we were too close to a residence, even though we are in a light industrial zone. One of our members lived in one of the buildings behind us. And so that counts as a residence. So we were actually shut down by the city at that location because somebody living behind the pot club, one of our members, lived there. They weren't complaining. They loved the fact that they could walk next door and get their pot. Uh, on the other one, we had a church next to them, which, you know, that, that just really doesn't make any sense, especially it's one of those uh, God-hates-gays churches. So one of my locations we were kicked out of because through land use and through permitting, we were too close to somebody who was a member of our club, and the other because we were too close to the, the God Hates Gays Church, right? So, the, no, not everybody's going to have a right to grow six plants. People in the right scenario where the city lets them do that are going to have the right to do it. But that's the big problem with this law, is we aren't taking away power from the cities and giving it to a state agency that, or, or a standard set of regulations that could be implemented across the entire state. We're saying, hey, city, every single city, you've got to come up with your own rules. You can do whatever the hell you please. Just, um, oh, well, you can't ban indoor growing of six plants in one building. Uh, but, you know, you can put all sorts of regulations on it. So it, I, I can't say enough, but please... Vote no on Prop 64. It really is the death to California's marijuana industry. We're ready for our next question. Okay. How's it going? Uh, I'm an advocate since 1997 with Dennis's first club. And uh, I know Dennis and Elvie, and I even knew Jack, and his name was Hare. Jack Hare, ran with Terry, told me once. Um, but I got a letter from, I'm in two movements, trying to stop the uh, opiate epidemic. And I've been doing this for 10 years now, trying to convince normal and ACE to jump on board. Back then it was normal. Um, but the Attorney General just came out with a letter that says we're all supposed to do our part to protect and help this opiate epidemic. And I believe where I live, the counties have banned it. They're basically redneck cowboys. We call them good old boys, but mm -hmm. I'm part of that system because I was raised there. And these are counties like Tehama, Butte, Shasta. They, they have a movement up there no one's even heard about, I guess, called the State of Jefferson. And so what I'm wondering is why anybody with the compassion use my Senator Feinstein says she supports compassionate use of marijuana when prescribed by a doctor. The, the, the Schedule 2 needs to change in California law, not for just, not for me. I replaced Oxycontin 11 years ago. I write Senator Feinstein, I write my president, I write every damn federal agent because I do get Social Security, I do get Medicare. But how can 
So how come no one's supporting the $18 billion of this work comp system and we're on by ourselves? The stores want the money. We've got $18, million, $18 billion that Liberty Mutual, I've saved $770,000 for 11 years stopping real heroin, Oxycontin. Prince died from fentanyl. So before we get keep going and around and around and around, nobody seems to understand. When Dale went to 2007, I was at his trial. More people here than at his trial here in Sacramento. 500,000 card holders in 2007. 30 people showed up, maybe five patients. We that witnessed it, we witnessed it. And I took my medical papers. 22 years of a doctor in Sausalito. His name is Dr. Michael Moskowitz. He's given me permission to use his name now for 10 years because I taught him about marijuana in 2007. So my question is, is we're gonna lose this whole plan that Dennis got us, Brownie Mary got us this for the AIDS epidemic, but we have a heroin epidemic. And you guys fund it because I haven't worked in 23 years. My garden is as big as from here to you. I live in a county called Tehama. My district attorney, my sheriff, they know who in the hell I am. And I even wrote the Bureau of, the question is I wrote the Bureau of Medical Marijuana Cannabis Regulation under and before this, everybody knows that they, the assemblymen under uh, SB 643, SB 666, and SB, uh, Senate, I mean, excuse me, AB 243, AB 266, and SB 243, or uh, 643, the new MRSA law. I wrote them with Senator Feinstein's words. They gutted the bill and they put intractable pain patients. They also put under section seven, under the Senate bill 643, section 19319, I asked this bureau, yeah. am I exempt? Because it says a qualified patient. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a little lost. I need to have the question well, directed at question. measure 64. Law, patients are still protected to grow their weed because it says we're exempt under prosecution. Under Dennis Perone's Compassion Use Act, we're exempt from prosecution. Only That's the only thing we have been. So for 20 years, are we gonna lose this to GW Pharmaceuticals, Purdue Pharmaceuticals? That's who's really behind all of this because they want the whole plant. They're gonna cut it up in 421 Okay, so let me see if I can, I can restate it. Why hasn't anybody protected the workers that get injured in California before this bullshit bill? That's all. Because MRSA protects us. We just okay, so I, let me see if I can restate that in a way that can be addressed by this board, because this board's here to talk about Measure 64. Um, is there a part of 64 that can help address that issue where um, workers that aren't, aren't being protected under, that were currently are protected under the current MRCA and under the Compassionate Use Act, how will they be further protected or not protected under 64? Well, we can't have a debate about something that has nothing to do with the panels here for, so I'm sorry I can't answer that question. Well, wait a second. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sir. 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 Go ahead. Sir. Let me, uh, let me tell you something. At 6.30 a.m. this morning, I dosed at a methadone clinic before I drove up here. I was a heroin addict for five years from... 1997 to 2002, and like a lot of people, if it wasn't for Indica especially, 
I never would have kicked that heroin habit. Luckily, I also had access to methadone. I've been on methadone maintenance for 14 years. I'm currently the only mayoral candidate in the United States who is out about their methadone use. So I understand more intimately than probably you realize, sir. That's a personal decision. I personally am choosing to try to destigmatize methadone and marijuana, so I choose to be very out, and I use it to control my dual diagnosis, but I feel that it's important enough to come out in the way I live my life and the way I treat other people is what defines me, not the fact that I chose to stick a needle in my arm to self-medicate 14 years ago. So I understand more than anybody, and I really appreciate your question, and I think you make a very excellent point, and I, I'm, uh, I congratulate you. Thank you, Kevin. And we'd like to thank everybody for appearing today. Again, I'd like to thank the questions from the audience and the participation from the board and the time that everybody put into this. Uh, Shelby for organizing it and, of course, uh, my uh, co-moderator, Richard, for uh, help with getting all this done. Thank you all for coming today. I'd just like to say, you know, everybody should take the time to get educated. You should take the time to read the 62 pages if you do not understand. It's very important that you understand what you're going to be voting on when you move forward here in November. Whatever happens, remember, we must work together. If it should move forward and pass, that's fine. If it should fail, that's fine. But what we should do as a community is stick together and keep progressing this forward in a positive direction. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to come out today. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Cannabis be with you. <laughs> Probably smokes a pot. I'm a hugger, man. Oh, man.